Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On today's show, we bring you the miniseries, Part One. This is the commander. Moments ago, this ship received word of a Cylon attack against our home worlds is underway. We do not know the size or the disposition or the strength of the enemy forces, but all indications point to a massive assault against colonial defenses. Admiral Nagala has taken personal command of the fleet aboard the Battlestar Atlantean, following complete destruction of PICON fleet headquarters in the first wave of the attacks. Well, 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 here we are. Mr. Anderson, how are you doing this fine day? So, so good, hot off my, I'm not going to lie, second watch of the very first episode, but of my, I got to say, my very first dipping of toes in the BSG, Large Ocean. Well, we talked about doing this for a long time. There's a lot of listeners that asked us if we would ever cover this. There's a lot of question marks around Battlestar Galactica, of course, the reimagined version. Oh, yeah. And uh, you and I just sat down one day and you were feeling confident, like you wanted to tackle this beast, yes. this beast of a series. Oh, yeah. And uh, I said, absolutely. And here we are. Now, as you caught up front, this is our very first podcast episode dedicated to this particular show. And uh, I'm very excited, man. I'm happy that you decided to uh, bring this up and I'm glad we talked about it. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Why don't you tell the good people? since this could be their first time listening to us, what we have in store for them. Well, we are going to go through the entire episode. Are the, uh, This one, like we said, the first part of the miniseries. We're going to break it down scene by scene, talk about the characters, talk about the show, get into it, analyze it, have fun, of course, still be a little blue here and there and have fun with this. Uh, but the biggest difference here, and I, you know, I guess we'll go on to elaborate about it, is that Dean, you have seen all of this, right? This is this is this. You're a veteran of the BSG universe. You could say I am a bit of a veteran. Uh, I've seen some more than once, uh, some only one times. The the early seasons, I've seen many episodes of the first season many times. Nice, and I've seen everything at least once. All right, and see with that. I have seen – this is one of the very few shows. I'm somebody who, even if I haven't seen a show, especially a sci-fi show or movie, I still typically know the broad strokes of it. I could could tell you who the cast is. I could tell you maybe who directed it. I could kind of give you a general idea of the story, even if I've hardly seen it or not seen it at all. Battlestar Galactica is a show I've always been interested in. It always looked good to me. I've had it recommended to me by people whose opinions I respect, but I've never watched it, and I have – Honestly, no idea about it. Uh, I can tell you. Here's I'm going to go ahead and just give you guys everything I know about the show right now. Okay, originally a show from the 70s, and this is a reimagining of it. Uh, there are Cylons. They are big, obviously robotic people, and in this show, there are some that can look like people. Um, Edward James Olmos is the main character. Okay, that's literally that's it. That's all I had. That's all I had walking into this. That is everything I knew about this show. 
and that it was gritty and sexified. That's about it. That's all sexified. I knew. Very sexified. Oh, oh, okay. One other thing I did know about Ronald D. Moore, that he was a writer on uh, Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine is a show I have a deep and abiding love for. Love my next generation. I love my Deep Space Nine. So that's that was really the key to getting me to watch this. I knew he was a part of Deep Space Nine, which is, you know, a highly revered Trek show. And uh, everybody said he brought that same magic to this. So that's what brought me here. But I, this is totally fresh to me. And part of the structure of this podcast is going to be me staying as virgin and pure to the show as I am right now. As a rule, I am not reading ahead. I'm not reading any Wikipedia articles. I'm not spoiling myself. I am not going to go to, you know, Reddit pages and find out everything that happens in the next seasons. I have no idea where this show is going. It is just as fresh to me as if it were airing week to week. And that's how we're going to treat it. We're going to, you know, I'm not going to watch even two, three episodes at once. I'm going to wait, you know, until we're recording and I'm going to watch the next episode right before that. So this is, this is brand spanking new television for me. That's great. And it should go without saying that this is something that we are recording and we're going to bank quite a few episodes on before we release it to the general public. So the things that we're saying now uh, are going to change by the time we hit 10 episodes of this podcast. But when we hit 10 episodes of this podcast, it still will not be available to the public. So we're going to structure this a little bit differently, as Matt has already indicated. And uh, yeah, Ronald D. Moore, actually, I think he did some work on Next Gen as well, Yeah, uh, just as a point of order there. But, you know, he he is... Uh, you, you can see his vision in this show. You know, you can see the Deep Space Nine grit, the, the changeling idea, the blending in, the enemy under your nose. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty wild. And uh, there's a lot of that we're going to explore. And I have to, as somebody who's seen it, I'll be very careful about not spoiling anything in the future for you. Seriously. Now, the good news is, is that this is not really in the public zeitgeist right now. It's always, <laughs> it's always in the geeks' minds. But it's hey, not. Hey, Dean, Battlestar Galactica and Babylon Five live on forever, and don't you ever say another <laughs> word about it. They sure do, actually. <laughs> so, but so you're not gonna. You, it's going to be hard for you to happen across spoilers. You really have to go looking. It's not like yeah. you're going to go to a Forbes article and it's going to be like you know Negan smashes in this person's head <laughs> with a bat from yeah. The Walking Dead. So you don't have to worry about that. And I guess we should also at this point tell people that. We are um, LSG Media. We're part of a larger group of podcasts, the flagship being the Science Fiction Film Podcast. And you've probably heard me, and I know you have too, Matthew, talk about Ron Moore quite a bit. And my love of this show, this show came up in our top five science fiction shows of all time mm-hmm. that Jessica and I did. So this is something I've been itching to get my my hands on, and I'm very happy. I'm very excited about this. This is, uh, this is going to be quite a shock for people when we uh, when we release it to everyone, but right now just a big fat secret. Uh, we are we are in our top secret vault working on this. This top is a, this secret. is our Manhattan project, and I couldn't yes. be more excited yes. about it. So watch your ass, Russia. That's <laughs> when we release this son of a bitch. You're in trouble. Oh, uh, we will spoil the episode in question as That's, we explicate yes. our way through it. We swear a lot. 
Uh, sometimes you get real silly. Just going to warn you right up front. If uh, if that's something that's uncomfortable to you, save yourself the trouble and just unsubscribe. <laughs> so. Yeah, we. I guarantee you, we will get into a deep analysis of the show and of the characters, their motivations, the symbolisms, the metaphors, and we will make dick and fart jokes as we go. At the same time, those that's things right. are not mutually exclusive. That's right. We are simply just being ourselves on this bad boy, and uh, you're going to like us or hate us. We hope you like us. And we hope you stick around. So, without further ado, ado. ado, why don't we get into this? Let's. Uh, okay. I'm going to start things off by asking you your initial impressions of part one of the miniseries. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I expected to enjoy this. I, you know, it's a show, like I was saying in the lead up, you know, I had a lot of expectations. It was built up uh, for me over years, and lots of friends were recommending it to me. Um, and it lived up to it. It, it was fantastic. Um, I also never seen any of the original series. So I'll admit I had a few times that were confusing to me going through or I'm like, is this a reimagining or are they actually trying to connect it in a timeline to the prior show? You know, they're doing those little throwbacks and hearkenings to the Cylon designs. And I'm like, right. wait, is, are we supposed to see this as like in the same timeline or totally reimagined universe? Um, that stuff was a little bit wonky for me here and there. I couldn't get a quite clear distinction. doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, but I really enjoyed the, you know, and I, I'm going to try not to go with the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine comparisons too much because I think that would get annoying with time. But that's my only point of reference for this kind of show, uh, you know, military fleet of ships in space fighting an alien enemy. That's the only other show I've seen like this. Um, but it is much more... Military. It has a Starship Troopers feeling to it in a way, and I mean that in a very good way. Of um, these are grunts mixed among you know politicians and everything like that. Whereas uh, I feel like the major difference for me coming into this was it truly isn't a utopian universe. This is not a a post currency, post scarcity society they're living in. This is still very much a human world of you know corruption, like the one we're in ourselves. Um, and that was really interesting to me. I think that leads its, lends itself to the atmosphere of the show, which it just has a much darker, more corrupted tone. Um, whereas the world of like the next generation is a brighter place and it's, it's being threatened by external influences, but there's not too many, you know, there's not too many downfalls coming from within and, and deep wounded characters, uh, as far as, you know, like we have in here. But, um, I think this is a great introduction to the characters of Battlestar Galactica, uh, I definitely, like I said, really enjoyed this. It is 100% military science fiction as yeah. a subgenre, uh, meaning that it is it is science fiction, but you can tell that technically they wanted to maintain a very cohesive feeling of a militaristic rule. And the the thing that really pulled me into Battlestar Galactica when I first watched it, now I was late to the party with Battlestar Galactica. It was already airing, and I was like, damn it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was right in a time when it was like, do you have a fucking $400 TiVo? No, I don't. So go. it's like, how am I going to see it? Uh, so it took me a while to see it. And then, uh, conversely, it took me a long time to finish it. I really I really put the pedal to the metal and went through it fast. And then as I approached the fourth season, I really slowed down. I got busy. And then there's this part of me that I learned about myself when I watched this. And it's, I didn't want it to be over and I knew it was over. 
And part of me thought that as soon as I finish this season, it's done forever. It's gone, and that's that. I've watched Battlestar Galactica. And my friends would tease me, and they'd be like, have you finished Battlestar Galactica yet? And I would say no, and they'd be like, what the fuck? How long do you expect us to keep spoilers from you? And I was like, as long as possible. Like, I was holding out because I didn't want it to be over. one of those. (laughs) When I watched Battlestar Galactica for the first time, I really, truly thought that it was one of the greatest things I had ever watched, okay? I had never watched Walking Dead. This came out right before it, I believe, right? Two, uh, well, no, Walking Dead premiered in like 2007. Oh, seven. Oh, oh, 10. Uh, oh, 10, was it? Yeah. This was okay, wow. So this is 04. Yeah, okay. So yeah. many, many years. Yeah, wait, before Game of Thrones, at least on HBO, I know the novels were out, but it was, it came out in a time where the sci fi channel suddenly seemed like this was its big masterpiece. This was yeah. going to be the thing that made the sci fi channel very impressive. I do and remember it, everyone talking about it. Yes. Yeah. And it really, the channel, I mean, kind of fell off the map after that, but we're not here to talk about the sci-fi channel. <laughs> this show really pulled me in. The consistency in the in the terminology, I am a in I am an odd duck. I am fascinated. Uh, you know, I'm so I'm such an anti-collectivist. I am I am borderline anarchist. And and, and I gotta <laughs> tell you, I'm still fascinated and drawn to military science fiction and military stories. I love the cohesiveness. I love that they are all in this situation voluntarily and they all function as this well-oiled machine and there's this respect and there's this camaraderie. And the, I, I am such an odd person because I'm at war with myself about so much of this stuff internally, but I, <laughs> I fucking love this shit, man. I love the way they treat it with so much respect. Yeah. The officers... The, you know, when you first hear him get on the one MC, which is, you know, what the Navy calls it, that, that ship wide communications that, and he, and he being Commander Adama addresses everyone. And the intrigue and the grit, the grainy film quality at times. I mean, just the opening alone was enough to sink me in. And then the tour of the Battlestar, the way we get this tracking shot on Starbuck, then it switches to Adama, then it switches to Gator, then it switches to Ty, and it moves around, and we meet everybody. Like you said, this introduction to the characters. I, hook, line, and sinker, was just into this show. I thought it was so good after watching the miniseries. Now, when the miniseries came around, you watched the whole thing. It wasn't really broken up into two parts like this, like they do now, how they build it into the first season. Uh Ah. So I watched it. You know, it was a three-hour thing. And um, it was, uh, as we go through a lot of this that I'm just giving high-level opinion on, we will really get into the details of this. But I was hooked as soon as, as we know her as six, she says, I'm the sixth model, so we'll call her six. I know you probably don't realize they call her that yet. Well, I looked at a cast list. Didn't look at okay, any plot okay. synopsis, but a okay. cast list, and that was her name. <laughs> so we know her name is six, and she walks in, and you're like, whoa. The, the, the intrigue of the way they set this up, and we might as well just jump right into the open Let's here. Let's do it. I, I actually took down the opening scroll, so I'll read that because I think that it sets the tone in a really great way that I really liked right from the jump. It says, the Cylons were created by man. They were created to make life easier on the 12 colonies. And then the day came when the Cylons decided to kill their masters. After a long and bloody struggle, an armistice was declared. 
the Cylons left for another world to call their own. A remote space station was built where Cylon and human could meet to maintain diplomatic relations. Every year, uh, the Colonials send an officer. The Cylons send no one. No one has seen or heard from the Cylons in over 40 years. There is a moment in that opening text. They cut it against with the transport docking. Mm-hmm. We see the armistice officer or the courier officer sitting at the table. He enters. He sits down. He's just flipping through stuff. Routine. He knows no one's going to show, or at least yeah. he thinks. Then we see he's looking at these diagrams of the older Centurion models, homage to the original series. Yeah. And then when it ever says, every year the colonial send an officer, the Cylon send none, it's like, damn, that is dark. Some deep, dark mystery. God, I mean, it's like they've just receded into some other part of the galaxy and are hiding away in the darkness. That, that, that alone is such a great... A great way to set up your villain that when they walk on screen and you see it in that officer's reaction where he's like just the doors opening on that side of the room alone is like, holy shit, what is happening? Right. It instantly hooks you in. Yeah. And this is the beginning thematically of what we have going on in the show. And that is our sins return to haunt us. Uh, we see that when Lee and and Commander Adama, I guess we'll say, meet father and son, and there's this beef about Zack, uh, a, a dead son who died tragically. Mm-hmm. And you know, sin's returning to haunt, sin's returning to haunt. The Cylons, sin's returning to haunt. You made them to make life easier, even in Commander Adama's speech, which we're going to get to. That's thematically what we're putting forward. Of course, the theme of survival. This came out in 2003. I mean, two years after 9-11. Being attacked, that's a big deal. That was very much in the psyche of of at least people in North America, you know? That is true. Yeah, that that imagery of those clouds and everything rising above the cities. I mean, that's some some bold shit to be doing at uh, this time in world history. That's for sure. So in walks six, and she simply asks him a question. That is, are you alive? Inquisitive, (sighs) isn't she? She is. And on on my second watch, you know, I was really trying to figure her out. And I know I'm not going to be able to. I know that is probably going to be a mystery of the show, at least for this first season. Um, But yeah, she says, are you alive? And he just tremblingly says, yes. And then she says, prove it. And I feel like she, you know, it's obviously a stark contrast that we see these big, blocky, still, you know, rectangular Cylon soldiers, Centurions, you know, post themselves at the door. And then this gorgeous, you know, fucking femme fatale walks in, this woman. Um, and I think, you know, being this first skin job model replicant uh, that they have, I think she has this very strange fascination with actual human life. And not I, I, the, my working theory on Six right now is that she is fascinated with irrationality because the Cylons obviously are a robotic Race? I don't know what else you would even call them. Uh, you know, civilization working off of logic, you know, cold, calculated logic. And I think she is fascinated by human irrationality because she kisses him. And even after the missile hits and it, you know, the viewer becomes, you know, aware this is an attack and they are, this is the first phase of taking out the armistice station. She still continues to kiss him and he still returns the kiss. And I think that's what she's like savoring. They're like, I'm, we're destroying you, yet you're still, in a way, participating, going along with it. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's against your 
instinct to survive. And I think that's what fascinates her. Yeah, she is certainly an interesting character. And obviously, there's a lot of speculation I can't do. Uh, and that's something that's going to come up in this podcast is that you're going to be speculating. I know some of the answers. And yeah. uh, I will, afford, of course, afford you some prompting questions of things that I think, with my knowledge, that I will ask you to think about, which I think will be very helpful to your perspective and in shaping it and, and kind of like running it like a prompting questions thing at times. And so when I'm totally off base and wrong, you get to titter quietly knowing how stupid I'll sound in just a couple <laughs> episodes. Yeah, exactly. I'm just drawing pictures of you getting punched in the face over there, just doodling <laughs> like this stupid person. He sucks. <laughs> if you just read one Wikipedia entry. It's, it's, I find it, I find it neat that you think that she's fascinated with irrationality here. I mean, she definitely has a, you know, as we see as this episode progresses, she has this very acute curiosity about humanity, even as she's participating, obviously, in trying to extinguish it, you right. know, and obviously, and she is made to resemble humanity, and that that has got to mean something for her character. Yeah, yep, it, yeah, for sure. So she says, are you alive? The officer says, yes. And, and then the whole proof thing comes, they start to kiss, he reciprocates because he's, a human male, right? But like a little said, bald, shrinky male who probably hadn't seen a woman like this suck his face in a long time, <laughs> or ever. Let's be real. Has <laughs> <laughs> so the base star arrives, and then boom, they launch that missile. Ooh. I love that. That's what they call it, by the way, a base star. You'll come to learn that if you Ooh. haven't yet. It's not really a spoiler. Haven't. And it launches a missile, and I like the fact that there's almost a symbolic gesture here by them destroying a station that was designed for communication. Yes. It, there's no yeah. real tactical significance of this place. They just decided, you know what? Go fuck yourself. Well, We're there's even blow away there, your armistice station. Exactly. And there's even a, you know, it's very quick and brief and it's only whispered over radio later on in the episode, but there's a point where uh, Rosalind is talking on the radio and she's like, has the idea of surrender been brought up? And they're saying the president brought up, proposed unconditional total surrender. And not only did they not accept it, they, the silence didn't even respond. They didn't like, respond. It's like they're not even deigning to make contact with us. They just want to wipe us out. It's like they're an exterminator just coming upon an anthill. They're just trying to erase. Right. And Six says, it has begun. And then, of course, the title card comes up. And we start things off with the Galactica. Oh, and, but we cannot skip over those sweet war drums yeah baby see that's that was another total surprise to me i had no idea what the the soundtrack or the the, the music of the show was going to be the musical aesthetic the fucking primal tribal war drums are you kidding me this was it's brilliant awesome it's brilliant awesome and, and so much throughout later on you know the the dog fights in space based against that ancient sounding drum is so great because i think star wars and as well as star trek really made big epic uh sci-fi and you know space opera size battles we make them we we associate them with big booming classical orchestras uh and i love that stuff i think it's great but i love this show's choice and it and like we were saying it's a very militaristic choice to make it 
war drums. I mean, like, this is like what right. the fucking Vikings are pounding as they're sending off their fleets. You know, like, it's really hearkening back to these are ships at war. These are not diplomatic ships. This is not a Deep Space Nine way station. This is war. Right. It's uh, a great observation. Bear McCreary, of course, does the music. His music is very percussive. Uh, oddly enough, and some people might not realize this, but a piano is a bit of a percussion instrument because you're depressing a key and a hammer strikes a string. And if you ever watch, I, I highly recommend you watch Bear McCreary do his Battlestar Galactica music on the piano exclusively. Uh, you can get it on Spotify, you can get it on YouTube, and the way he just sits there, he's just slamming the, the keys. Uh, and it is, it's very primal. You know, I think of it, it sounds very much like Koto to me, like Japanese drums, that boom, 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 yes, boom, boom, yeah. you know, like that fast rhythmic drumming and uh, in, in these in these breaks in it, like, dun, 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 and then there's a pause, and then it comes in again. Uh, I love it. I love that sound as well. I think you are right on when you compare it to more space operatic scores that are big and brassy and are beautiful, of mm-hmm. course, skillful. But there is a minimalism here that I like in the music that is almost reflected in the shots of space. And that yeah. is, there's a lot of black out there. We don't need beautiful planets in fucking nebula. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. We do get some of that. But this is a show that does a good job of showing how at times humans are very insignificant against the blackness of space. Mm-hmm. I think a minimal primal soundtrack helps. I think at times to have a real muted, almost no sound in space approach, you just see like a ship go by. You just hear that. And <laughs> and that's it. And they sh- and they zoom way out and they show you how small they are, and uh, it's it's great. The mood is established right away, as well as some of the themes. Yeah, yeah. Now I love we're- in general too. I, I just want to say real quick before we we go too much further. I, I love because I'm normally not a handheld camera guy. I, I don't really prefer that look, movies or shows. Uh, but I really love the way they do the exterior space shots with seemingly uh, – it's like archival handheld footage. The way they mm-hmm. you know, will be zoomed out and then they shakily zoom in on a ship that's coming uh, out of the place. It, fe- it really specifically makes it feel more real, which I think for one carries the weight a little better for, uh, from these now slightly dated effects. I think they still hold up pretty well. Yeah. Um, but it, it lends a realism to those effects that the effects alone don't really have. Uh, you know, it, it lends its scale when you're thinking about a person being somewhere perched watching this and having to quickly try to zoom in on the elements that uh, matter. Here's what I will say. The the effects at time, because they're CG, are a bit dated, but they actually improve right in the se- in the first season, I felt. And oh, that cool. could have been a budgetary thing where the miniseries was first and then and then the first season came out. I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up and we can talk about that on a future episode. But I still think yeah. they look pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they do. And there is a you know, there is a this is such an overused word the last five years, but it's it's very gritty. It's a very gritty type of film choice, the way they make it grainy, and it's a gritty scenario. It's dark. There are cords attached to phones. The music is primal. The cameras can be shaky. There's shadows. There's not of brightly lit things. And we are really 
putting forth some dark fucking themes here. Yeah. Let's talk about the crew of the Galactica as we come to meet them. Oh, I think it's got to be important, and I can't obviously predict too much about how uh, the landscape of the characters is going to play. I don't know yet. But the very first person we see of the crew is Starbuck, and she is exercising. She's running. She's in the midst of training. And again, I think that's a great representation of her character. As far as I can tell from this first episode, she's a very visceral, constantly sweaty, just on the tip of her toes, ready for action kind of person. Um, and I, I think this is a great way to, to start that and show her. Right. Yeah. She starts in running, taking a run, make a hole. She yells as she's coming through. And then our tour passes over to this man named Aaron Doral, who's leading this tour group through the Galactica. Uh, we learn that the ship was the last of her kind constructed 50 years ago during the early days of the Cylon War. He goes on to tell us originally there were 12 battle stars, each representing one of Kobol's colonies. That is some good world building that's subtle. It's mm-hmm. just a passerby in the hall that we then take up the follow on and we track him through the halls. What do you think about this? Well, he's like, you know, they're, they're a PR guy. They're a Jurassic Park tour man. Like right. just giving, you know, literal, literal tourists a, uh, a picture of the place, which struck me immediately as really strange. Isn't this a military right. vessel? You're going to have a tour group coming in. And then, of course, as it progresses, we realize it's being decommissioned. And this is a whole big ritualized ceremony for... I guess what they're assuming is a new era of peace coming in, that they're not going to need battle stars, and they're just slowly decommissioning all the big old ones from the original Cylon War. So that's why, you know, this ship is in the process of being neutered, basically. And they're allowing tourists and their shitty flowery shirts on board. Look at all our stuff. Um, And he also, like you were saying earlier, points out the fact that this ship is still – outfitted in this very same way that ships during the Cylon War were because Cylons evidently have the ability to infect any networked computerized system. So Mm. you can have electronics, you can have computers, but they need to be standalone, disconnected, not on any sort of network interface, or else they can be infected by Cylons, I'm assuming, and either completely disabled or taken over. So that's why we're seeing this, like, old technology, phones on cords. Like, I was expecting to see, like, a rotary phone picked up at some point. Yeah, and while you do get a taste of that later when the commander of the air group, Major Spencer, engages the Cylon Raiders later, and the Cylon Raiders just turn his wing off. They all just go yes, out, right. and they just start floating adrift. That, oh my God, I can't that's, wait to get to that scene. That is <laughs> shit-panningly terrifying. That, that is the fear of these networks in... I'm not sure if it's an era of peace that they assume. I mean, it was over 40 years ago. But it could just be that this was built early in that war, and it's a 50-year-old ship. I mean, it is old. Yeah. We can only assume that some of the other Battlestars that are getting destroyed are not as old as the Battlestar Galactica. That's true, because they were getting all their shit turned off, we also find out. Right. And it was the last of its kind. That that is something he says in the as they pass by. It was the last of her kind meaning that there must have been a new run of different ones. Yeah, more computerized systems, I think it implies. Yeah, just more modern technology. Exactly. So originally there were 12 battle stars, each representing one of Kobol's colonies. That's a, that's a place that you're going to have to, that will come up again. 
Yeah, that now that got me a little bit confused. I couldn't tell if COBOL was a colony itself or that's just the name for the colonies as a whole. I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> it, you don't need to know yet. Okay. All right. So Galaca, Galactica represents Caprica, mm-hmm. was first commanded by somebody named Commander Nash. He goes on to talk, and then we trail off. So we learn that each of these battle stars represents one of the planets. This happens to represent Caprica, which is a planet we're going to come to learn about right away. Yes, poor Caprica. We track to Commander Adama, who's going over a speech. We meet the landing signal officer, Captain Kelly. He's a uh, character that you see now and again. And he's, they're all honoring him. They're like, hey, I just want to let you know it's an honor to serve with you. He, he just wants to make sure he tells Commander Adama, a man who he looked up to, apparently, and somebody who helped him, that he's happy to have served with him. Mm-hmm. Starbuck runs by. We continue following her. And then we peel off on her, and we meet the deck crew. So we have Callie, Sosinus, and Prosna. You probably don't know their names yet. That's okay. <laughs> I'm working on it. That's why I had to, bare minimum, I had to bust open a cast list. Prosna's the guy that, that dies. He gets <laughs> torched at the end. Gotcha. Callie, Very well done meat by the end of that. Oh, brutal. Delicious crispy bacon. Space <laughs> bacon, right? <laughs> there you go. They are mad about Galactica becoming a museum, so, right, that's what we have here. Yeah. Uh, then we continue on our tour. We meet, we have Commander Adama moving towards the CIC, right? And here we meet Gaeta, who is a watch officer, Lieutenant Gaeta. And he kind of keeps the CIC running when the senior officers aren't there, like the Adamas and the Ties. Yeah. So he briefs Adam on the courier officer being past check-in time. He just kind of mentions the armistice casually. Yes. It's a very minor point. It's something that, you know, it, it does come across as just very mundane news that is a, a, a formality. Yep. It's, it's one piece of news in a stack of paper about shit that the captain, or, or the commander, I should say, has to worry about in any given day aboard exactly. the ship. Yeah. Uh, he says, Commander Adam is like, look, look, we're too busy to, to worry about this. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, he keeps, he doesn't even get through the first line of his speech. He's constantly starting to read it, and then somebody interrupts him. Starting to read it, somebody interrupts yep. him. You know, he's, he can't even get past that first sentence of his, you know, decommissioning speech. Right. Which is interesting. It is almost a metaphor for the entire episode. He never really, until he gets to the end, but he keeps getting interrupted. This, this fate has other plans for him. Mm, pulls him back in. So we follow Gaeta, and then we meet Colonel Ty. Mm-hmm. Who already, <laughs> leaning against a wall with a suspicious mug, I'm getting a feel for him. Can you say hopeless drunk of the crew? <laughs> and second in command. And second in goddamn command. <laughs> He's the executive officer. So the tour goes XO. So the group goes by and we learn more. Uh, this is where they talk about phones with cords. He's, uh, Doral says, we're going to find things on the ship that you don't find elsewhere. Phones with cords. Manual valves. Computers that barely earn the name, and then he says, "Galactica reminds us of a time. Uh, reminds us of a time that when we were so fearful of our enemies, we literally looked backwards for protection." Yeah, technology-wise. My God, it is a frightening idea that you would have to revert in order to survive. The next moment, we have Kadam. Jesus, we have Commander <laughs> Adama going down to the deck to get honored by Chief Tyrrell and the deck gang. He reveals the Viper Mark II, the Husker insignia, back from when Kadam, uh, Kadam, Jesus Christ, 
when Commander Adama was a pilot, and then the chief and the deck crew are honoring him. They want it to be part of a decommissioning ceremony, and then they give him a picture of his what looks like two sons outstanding outside of the very vessel that they re, that they rehashed for him. That's right. That's the thing. They they did not just find a Mark II version from this war. It is his exact ship, his very ship he flew his missions in. And I don't know for sure. Like I said, I am I'm being very militant and not spoiling anything for myself. I'm literally not typing in Battlestar Galactica into Google. Like I'm just avoiding it entirely. But I have me a hunch that if I typed in the original series, I would and looked up pictures of their Vipers. Is this what they look like? Basically, they do. There we go. They do. See, again, yeah. this is where I kept getting thrown. I was like, is this actually in the timeline of the original series and just and we're now in the future? Or was it just a reimagining and they're just throwing some little homages? It's I guess that. that's what they're doing, right? It's, it's yeah. a reimagining and they're throwing homages because obviously these characters exist in the original. They're just different. Oh, they really do. Okay, so like the there names, is a Starbuck, there is an Apollo. There is a Starbuck, there is an Apollo, there is a Gaius Baltar. There's, there's, <sighs> these characters do exist. Not all of them, mind you. But they do exist. So it is just an homage to show that there was a war once past. Perfect. Good. That's good knowledge. That stirs my drink right. There you go. So it's at this point in the episode where we really start to understand that Commander Bill Adama is a very respected man. He is a very good commander. Everyone looks up to him. Everybody respects what he does. They are all have the joy to serve with him. They're all honored by having served with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what we learned this entire time. Starbucks cordial to him. And that's something I don't know if you picked up on, but that's the only person she's cordial to the entire episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And not only that, you know, very much they seem like they are on a very similar wavelength. Like they almost have an unspoken understanding. They, they can, you know, they're those kind of people who can just nod at each other and know what each other's thinking. They, mm. uh, he, he just, I think, you know, and he looks at that picture of himself as a fighter pilot. I think he sees a lot of himself in her, obviously. Um, you know, she really is a soldier, a warrior. And one of those people who's comfortable in a world where there is something to fight. And, I think that's the part of him that he sees in her. Uh, You know, he's the person who, by the end of the episode, not the only one, but is very ready to just cut the fucking ties and call it war. We're at war. Get used to it. You've trained for this. Uh, And she's one of the few other people who is also no hesitation. Yep, that's it. We're in war. Let's go. And they definitely have an understanding for one another and an admiration that is unique to them. Right. And that, the, the, you picking up on that, obviously you're observant about these things. And, and secondly, if you are paying attention, this is a credit to the script and a credit to the performance. Oh, yeah. To, to, to pick up on her, she, she bucks authority, right? That's her thing. She doesn't, she's not interested in the pomp and circumstance of it all. She is a warrior. The rest of it is, is irrelevant. Uh, she is obviously going to be a lot more three-dimensional as we get into this. Uh, and it's it's great that you can pick up on her relationship to Adama right away. Yeah. Because she's not cordial to Ty. She's not cordial to leave. <laughs> she, I mean, she breaks Lee's balls. They they argue about something. And we don't see her interact with a lot of people, but we see her at the card game having fun and you know being a wise-ass. That's what she does. Yeah, exactly. Which is the next scene coming. 
the beginning of this establishes a sense for this crew. These are real people. They are, they seem like they are bought in on the love of the Battlestar Galactica. They love this job. They love this post. It's, it's got to be tough for them thinking about decommissioning it. That's a, a, th- a tension I picked up on is a tension of 40 years have passed. We haven't seen the Cylons. I can already kind of get a sense from, you know, the military crew itself is still kind of steeped in history. You know, nobody gave any assignments for them to go and find those pictures of Adama with his boys. Like they went into the military archives and found that for him. They're, they respect the history and they respect their commanders who were involved in the Cylon War. And so even though they're young, I think they have this whole kind of readiness and the, that respect for history, which makes them more, I guess, wanting to keep the Galactica going, wanting to keep these pieces of defense up and ready. Uh, but I can imagine, you know, and I think Gaius is obviously the, the biggest representation of this, that the rest of the society is kind of, you know, hey, that was 40 years ago. Why are we still worried about this? We can move away from this over-militaristic idea uh, and, you know, move towards computer systems and move towards artificial intelligence and all this other stuff is just holding us back. So there's this kind of reverence for history among some of these people, but it is, it's a little fraught with wanting to move forward. Yeah, I think what I'm seeing is of of this group of people, they're they want to maintain their tradition of being brothers in arms. I think exactly. that's just the way it goes. Uh, ask anybody who served in the military, and they'll tell you, especially if they went overseas uh, and engage in any kind of combat together, that those bonds are something that other people just don't really understand. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing this this really tight, high reverence, a lot of respect. And what I like about this is, is that you are pulled into it. You feel like you are there as well. It's exciting. You want to know more about these characters right away. And then you can see the conflicts coming. Uh, 47th in line for the presidency is not part of that camaraderie. She's going to come in and now she's going to bark orders. How's that going to work out? <laughs> what, you know, what does it mean when now you have civilians that you have to look out for? Is it a military dictatorship? How is this going to work? And you can see these, you can see these conflicts on the horizon based on the way they're trying to build up the camaraderie of the Battlestar Galactica and her crew. And that moves right into the card game. Another great scene. Real people doing real things. Dialogue that feels natural. Starbuck, yes. Hilo, Boomer, Ty, and the CAG, which is... Also, to, to throw back to the uh, the Starship Troopers thing again, very much uh, gender equality in this world. Women yes. in combat positions is not something even questioned. That's just a part of reality. It never comes up. Yeah. Not and an that's, issue. And that's what I like about it. It never comes up. It's not a discussion because it doesn't need to be. In this world, I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just a non-issue here. It's a non-issue. Co-ed showers, co-ed bathrooms, co-ed bunks, living conditions. Mm-hmm. So Starbuck, Carathrace, you got Hilo, which is Carl Agathon, Boomer, which is Sharon Valeri, and then Colonel Ty. I think his first name's Saul. Yeah. And then you get the commander of the air group, the CAG, as he's known, Major Spencer. Uh, the commander of the air group is just the senior most pilot on board. He's a major. He's fucking way up there, right? Oh, yeah. 
Uh, he's he's only outranked by Ty, I think. So he's a he's a high ranking man, and and I like how they do their military rankings. They blend navy and they blend some army stuff. They you know blend they blend the navy with army slash marines, and I like that. You have a commander who runs the ship, not a captain, and then you have a and then you have a under him you have Saul Ty, who's a colonel, mm-hmm. and I like that. It's interesting because Captain Lee. His son is a captain, but he falls under the colonel and the commander. So their yeah. rank structure is a little bit different than a traditional military would have you believe. The captaincy that Lee has is more akin to, say, a captain in the Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah. It just felt like a, an officership. Yeah, like he could, you know, that's that's a guy who could run the commander of the air group if, say, Major Spencer gets killed in the first episode. Which I think he does. (laughs) (laughs) You now have a job. (laughs) So uh, Ty starts in on Starbuck right away. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Primarily what happens in the scene. You know, everybody's kind of goofing off and talking. Generally, everybody's there just playing cards, having a good time, except for Starbuck and the Colonel, because like you were saying, the Colonel is immediately like, did you get that name before or after your drunken, disorderly contact? And she's just, eh, after, you know, and she's already dialed it on him knows what he's doing and that's she when fires she starts. back about his wife oh, it gets yeah. ugly quick very like, quick star buck 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 <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny such a shitty old man way to insult <laughs> calling me a chicken do we even have chickens anymore that exists <laughs> i like how the camera rounds the table a few times and it gets faster very uh, they're just they're just not pals the wife's just fine and then starbuck pushes yeah talk to her lately yeah yeah <laughs> And then, of course, he quit. You know, she wins the game. Everybody kind of folds. And then he just quietly flips the entire table, and then she decks him in the face. Yep. And gets locked up in the brig pending charges. <clears throat> You've gone too far this time. More character development ensues afterwards, and that's what we're doing here. We are not pushing a plot. No. No. We, we are not pushing a plot right now. This is not plot-driven television at all. And that's what I love about it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, right now, the, you know, this whole opening act really is just these characters bouncing off of one another, interacting in their, you know, daily environment. It's 15 minutes in the episode, if you were wondering. Yeah. And we move over to Adama and Ty. And he says, are you going to press charges against Kara? And the two men talk. Ty's drinking comes up. Adama tries to talk Ty out of the charges. Uh, Adama's like, look, <laughs> she's a great pilot, better than me, twice as good as you. <laughs> and, and Adama respects that. Yeah. And the thing I like about Ty is, is that even though he isn't he's too pissed. fond of, of her, he's yeah. just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't you seem know? to take it overly personally uh, after he's cooled down anyways. Right. And I like that. This is That strikes me as just more realistic than this executive officer who's gunning for Starbuck. You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that's true. It's a rivalry, it, no doubt. It's a total trope in movies when, you know, the the officers, the 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 brass of the military is just totally gunning for the little guys. I mean, yeah, there's some tension, but it is, yeah, the idea of a colonel just like, well, fuck my career. I've got to sink this private. You know, I've got to sink this NCO no matter what. And it's like, yeah, they wouldn't really care that fucking much. Like, 
Who right. gives a shit? We're decommissioning right. our ship anyways. But I really like the detail that we learn Starbuck's first name, her real name, from Adama in this scene. You know, he's the one saying, you're really going to press formal charges on Kara. Like, you have to do that. And it's, of course, Colonel being like, oh, you've always had a soft spot for her. Right. And he's just like – and I love – Adama, this is – you know, I'm already getting a really good feel for him at this point in the episode. And I like – you know, I never thought I would say this because my favorite Star Trek captain is Jean-Luc Picard. And I always considered him a very logical, very measured man. Adama makes him look like a drama queen. And I still love Picard, but Adama is the most like straightforward, quiet, humble, just kind of resolved man. And and even in this scene where he's like, ah, oh, you've always had a soft spot for her. And he's like – yeah, probably. You're right. Uh, yeah, and I'm just an old man, I guess. Like, just no. He knows when to fight, and this is just something. It doesn't even. It it is no issue to him. It is no concern. He can be honest with himself about it. He's outstanding. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, he's great. I think there's a credit that needs to be given here to uh, Edward James. Almost, I think part of it is his total mastery and his awareness of Bill Adama. Yeah. I think he really gets him. And that's something that I find universal in this entire run. I feel like Mary McDonald gets Roslyn, Jamie Bamber gets Lee, James Callis. Holy shit. Mm. So you're saying Lee lives after episode one, huh? Mm, already <laughs> spoiled the cliffhanger, Dean. Well, son of a bitch. You, you thought they all died in the new... <laughs> Everybody dies, right? They all died. Uh, we'll get to that. Roslyn, we'll Doug... Uh, <laughs> yeah, God, and and don't don't even get me started on James Callis, guys. Baltar. I mean, he's incredible. They're all great. I mean, you were talking about Trisha Helfer, uh, six. She plays six. She's a Victoria's Secret model, and and she plays this character so well. There's a strong sexuality to her, sure, but and and that will be explained. It's not just. TNA yes, for TNA exactly. Sake. It strikes me as a component of a character, not 100%. like a, a, a fucking producer with like his white shirt unbuttoned to his navel with his sunglasses. Like we need to get more nudity in this show. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you buckle them belts, if we ain't fucking robots, what's the point? No, <laughs> exactly. But Trisha, Trisha, I think is so good. She was such a oh, surprise yeah. for me. I'm like, oh, she's a Victoria's Secret model. Okay, they got a model to play in the show, and then I was like, she's fucking great. Yeah, there's a her curiosity seems so genuine. Exactly. She's like, yes. I, I, I guess I just that. feel you know Michael Hogan is Ty, Katie Sackhoff is is Starbuck, um, who's pretty popular. And then one of the surprises in this was Aaron Douglas, who plays Chief Tyrrell. He was written to have less shit, and he just crushed the role. And they're like, dude, we're getting you more involved in this show. Nice. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. Nothing gives me more confidence in a character than that than to hear that this was going to be written off. You know, it's famous now, Breaking Bad. Like Aaron, Aaron right. Paul's character, Jesse, was going to be killed off in season one. Nails it so well that he becomes the duo, the second part of this duo for the entire show's run. Uh, that's that's a good sign. That is somebody who who fleshes out the character more than the creators even knew was possible. Quick aside about Aaron Paul, uh, the the gentleman from Breaking Bad. I have uh, Hulu. In fact, that's how we're watching BSG. Ooh, the path. It's fucking awesome. Oh, I'm gonna watch that. Yeah. <laughs> now that now that you that. have it, yeah, I watched the first couple episodes, and he's great in it. But anyway, yeah, the the cast. I think going back to the original point of this tangent is. They there's a mastery of the character I think that they all seem to display and and Edward James almost seems to have a grasp of Commander Adama right from the jump. Yeah, yeah, 
his tone, his quietness, all the history kind of lurking beneath that that grizzled face. And there's a extreme power behind him. And we're yes. going to get to that when he backs up Colonel Ty, a great scene. Ooh, but before that, let's get to Caprica City Caprica, where Secretary Rosalind gets her diagnosis of terminal cancer. Did you see this coming? I did not. Yeah, this is this is intense. She gets cancer diagnosis, and before he, she can even hear the details, she's just tuning yeah. it out, essentially. Yeah, that's, that's intense. Yeah. Oh, man. And then, of course, that, that leads us directly into her flight, you know, uh, as, I guess, Secretary of Education is what Correct. She, she is. Yeah, Secretary of Education. And she is attending the decommissioning ceremony for Galactica, and she's on board a ship to go there. And this and is that already— that ship is, for the record, the Colonial Flight 798, which will, of course, later be named Colonial 1. Uh, uh, in, in, in honor of Harrison Ford, right? <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, and then uh, what's his name shows up. He's like, I'm going to take over the plane. My name is Gary Oldman. I play a Russian terrorist. <laughs> Russian archetype character. A Russian archetype. I have goatee, so I'm evil, right? <laughs> Later, uh, yeah, she's with Billy, her her uh, her little Eight. assistant, Billy. Yeah. But I like, this is already, again, this is another really good setup for her character because she just got diagnosed with cancer. Billy doesn't. Uh, Billy obviously doesn't know this. She hasn't confided this in anyone. She is holding herself together, you know, admirably, and then goes to the bathroom to essentially have her panic attack and, and calm herself. And I mean, you feel in, this is our introduction to her. This is the first ten seconds she's been on screen, and you instantly, for one, admire her for being able to compose herself generally, especially in front of everyone else. Right. But uh, God, what a what a heavy dose of news to have to sit on. Yeah, absolutely. And what a way to introduce a character. Exactly, yeah. Riverwalk River Walk Market, Caprica City. We oh, see the same God. woman from the Armistice Station. <gasps> Ooh, this scene is Ooh. fucked. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. But for one, yes, we get the shock. Uh, I remember being surprised at the beginning of that opening sequence of, wow, she, she's just dead. That's it. Uh, they're just a decoy. Yeah. They just have copies of her or something. But um, when we see her walking around here again, we get in, you know, yeah, it's a shock to see her just up and around as if she was never at this armistice place. But then we get the utterly creepy inhuman interaction she has with the mother staring at that little baby. Mm. She's walking around. I like that she's tall. She's like up above everyone. And she's looking around, observing, maybe even marveling at what she's witnessing. Again, that genuine curiosity that you pointed out really comes into the forefront here. Yes. This little baby, so light, so fragile. Shh, there, there. It's okay. You're not going to have to cry much longer. (laughs) And see, the thing, at first blush, you know, this really struck me as creepy and dark, Uh, especially after my my second viewing, though. I really do see, obviously, there's some malice to her. She knows what she's doing. She knows the plan she's taking a part of. But I really, really get the sense that when she's leaning into that baby and looking at it, the, the expression on her face is one of total curiosity and misunderstanding. Like like a child wanting to touch a hot stove, not really logically understanding what that's going to do to you, but not physically understanding what that will do. And the last line she says before she lays that baby down is, it's amazing its neck can hold so much weight. And I think right. she really says that with an admiration of like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like, these little things are so strange. How can they even do this? And I think she really didn't 
wasn't trying to kill it. I think she was trying to like, like again, child, like push the boundaries of what does this do? How, how, how much can it take? And I think she just realizes that it, (laughs) that she's killed it and I better walk away. The fascination on her face is real. Yes. You get the impression that she is completely fascinated by what she's witnessing, which makes you start to wonder things, doesn't it? Yeah. That there's not, at least among her, not obviously, you know, the Cylons, the Cylons as civilization as an attacker know what they're doing. But it's almost like she is a creature of her own within that Cylon right. front. Uh, and that, you know, it reminded me, of course, of like like Species, the character there, of like learning, you know, about herself as kind of an invader within this world, a mimicry of this world, of these, you know, human beings, but having a kind of admiration for them or at least a curiosity that makes – you know she she is attacking them but it's tempered by that curiosity she still wants to to learn about them though i like i like that you're saying that do you find that she does she strike you as having a conscience when she does murder that baby accidentally it the, there is a very mixed expression on her face it's not cold it's not completely neutral and it's definitely not enjoying what she just did it it's it really just looks more like confusion and a little bit of hurt like i didn't mean to do that i wasn't trying right. to do that and even though there's obviously a creepiness in what she says of you won't have to cry much longer there is like a strange consolation in that she is in a way in a very weird disconnected alien way trying to console it like oh don't worry you won't you won't feel feelings you won't feel bad feelings too much longer please don't worry because you're not going to feel any feelings it's funny because i I'm, I, I'm going back to your initial impressions of her which was observing the armistice officer as this illogical creature yes but then you see the way she behaves as the episode progresses if there is one thing that you could argue is very illogical, it's religion, right? Yeah. And she makes these overtures about God has a plan and, and God wanted me to help you. And we see a very different character from the Armistice Station to her interactions with Gaius Baltar, which we're going to start getting to here in the next few scenes. Yes. Yeah. That, and I have, oh, I have a couple theories about that, that whole religious aspect. But um, but yeah, there I I get this weird sensation from her that she is not a character of pure malice that we would obviously assume that she is. That there is some some mixed. It, it's as if the Cylons created you know this new model of themselves, but they weren't even they, again like human beings creating Cylons. They weren't even quite aware of what they were creating, what kind of consciousness right. it might take on. Indeed. So we get. Gaius Baltar being interviewed on a program called The Spotlight. Uh, Dr. Gaius Baltar, Magnet Award winner, a media cult figure, friend of President Adar, controversial views on computer technology. He immediately starts in with a charm. Might I say you're looking lovely today? Oh, yes. Oh, he then the, <laughs> the, the author photo page of him sitting there with his glass as he's waiting to speak. <laughs> God, oh, it's fucking amazing. Oh, Jesus, this guy. He then decries the ban on AI. He says it's outdated. That it's limiting their you know technological improvement. Yep, and then he goes home and he bangs his insanely hot Cylon girlfriend. <laughs> Unbeknownst to him as a Cylon funny that he's pushing for a lift on the ai ban while he's 
banging what could be one of the most advanced things ever. <laughs> Seems like a conflict of interest. So let's go back to some of your rational thoughts. Your body misses me. Your soul. Do you love me? I'm hot, guys. I'm so hot. Glowing red spine. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's I've seen weird. nudity that is less attractive than that woman's back. <laughs> Glowing red metal spinal cord. And she, and she also insists that, do you love me? Do you love me? She presses him on that. And, of course, she Indeed. kind of smiles, waves it off as a joke, but she was pressing him. She was. And it was very passionate, very mm-hmm. passionate lovemaking. It is. It's like she wants to indulge in these things. It's, ah, I, 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 I'm more interested in getting a read on her than, like, anybody. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to talk about her? Do you want to wax poetic on her for a minute, or do you want to just keep moving and we'll Well, get... I, f- I feel like I have. We'll, we'll probably do more. Okay, gotcha. So, Captain Lee Apollo arrives, as so named after his father, uh, another Adama, right? <laughs> Captain <laughs> Lee Adama, we've got you know, Commander Bill Adama. Uh, Apollo is confused at the hands-on approach versus the auto landing. Now, here's something that I really like, and this is something that you we talked about at the beginning of this. When Apollo lands, he's confused at why they do a hands-on approach. No auto landing. That's yeah. fucking weird. What, what is this? Uh-huh. And Captain Kelly welcomes him. He says, welcome aboard. Captain Kelly, of course, the landing signal officer. And then Chief Tyrrell meets Apollo for the first time. Lee doesn't shake his hand, kind of douchey. And then it's Look. clear that Apollo isn't a fan of his own dad. And oh, then yeah. Chief Tyrrell defends Adama in a subtle way. He says, Chief Tyrrell tells Apollo that commander, the way he says it, Adama's yeah. orders are for hands-on approaches. Mm-hmm. This is what I mean by you start to pick up on these personality traits, right? It's yeah. obvious that Chief Tyrrell's friends He's very loyal to They matter to him. We get that later when the damage control team and Saul Tai have to make that sacrifice. And yeah. he's really pissed about it. Oh, and yeah. we see him going after a superior officer when he says something remotely shitty about this guy that he loves. You know, yeah. Chief Tyrrell really has a, a strong respect slash love for Adama. And Lee, his own son, couldn't seem to be bothered. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, and obviously there's a lot of personal and familial history there sure. that is slowly getting leaked out too. But it's also very obvious that he's kind of embraced the newer military, you know, the technologically advancing military, the ships with auto, you know, landing procedures and everything. And so he's, and I'm sure probably in a resenting way in some in some respects, so that he's just marching forward, even though his dad is the more traditional uh, focus. You know, he's he's adopting the things his father won't. Right. He's not a fan of his father, and now he has to go participate in a decommissioning ceremony where his father's the commanding officer. Yeah, in his honor, practically. <laughs> right. So Lee was off doing his own thing, and now he's back. Mm-hmm. Gets orders to be back. Gets orders to be back. We see Sharon, or Boomer, she shows up with Hilo and their Raptor, that's what that's called. It's like a sensor suite package type of reconnaissance vehicle. She complains about the gimbal. They argue, meaning her and Chief Tyrrell, and then they go fuck. Gray's Anatomy style. Oh, we got to hide out in the medical closet and bang it out. Yeah. Baboosh. I I dig it. I can dig it. This is also, you know, I I forgot to mention in our our lead up, you know, first impressions about the show. Before I'd ever seen it, you know, I, I had basically people recommending it to me, and the only people who were saying they didn't like it 
were it was for the same reason that a lot of people did like it hypersexified like that was i remember a big controversial thing about this or at least people were talking about it like oh it's just like Battlestar galactica all sexed up basically and to be funny to be honest like watching it now it's it's definitely not you know overwrought like it's not too much and it's not over the top (laughs) at least in the miniseries right yeah you know it's funny we also cover The Walking Dead. People not might realize that. And we have a Walking Dead podcast. And one of the things we're always talking about is everyone would just be fucking more. Like, <laughs> yeah. When you're it's living, the end of the world, baby. Yeah, when you're living in these tight quarters, Starship Troopers, if you have man and woman living in these tight quarters and they're single man and woman, shit's going to happen. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what rules you put in place, especially if you're looking at the decommissioning of the ship and it's the end of it anyway, right? We're all going to get new assignments after this anyway. So Let's what just is it? turn this into a Caligula party, absolute full tilt. Sure, in a sense, but uh, maybe it could just be like, man, I've I've always wanted to. We're getting decommissioned. Who knows we're going to end up next? Fuck it. I'm going for it. Yeah. You know, it you could go. just be that extra over-the-line push that you would need. But I don't I, – I think that um, – Oh, I think between uh, Boomer and Tyron, yeah, this has been going on. Tyrell, yeah. Tyrell. Tyrion? Are you sure it's not Tyrion from Game of Thrones? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so the commander of the air group, Major Spencer, briefs the pilots. They welcome Apollo, and lucky him, he gets to fly his dad's viper in the ceremony. <laughs> what an honor, son. Hooray! He's like, yeah, great, that's... Oh, um, couldn't hate it more. Quite an honor. And he's like, you're goddamn right it is. Little <laughs> shit. Let me come over there and smack you one. And then we get back to Caprica City. Six and Gaius walk the streets. Here's some good dialogue that is important to the plot. Mm-hmm. This is revealed that what he's you know basically working with the Department of Defense, and that she is in his eyes a contractor, another independent contractor he's been working with, right? Correct. Yes, that's exactly what's going on here. He gloats that about an, a ninety-five percent efficiency for something called the CNP which is a command navigation program. Now... Oh, wow. We beat him to GPS. Nice. Yeah. The command navigation program is something that he was working on for the, the colonial brass. Yeah. Now, Six reminds him that she had to rewrite half his algorithm. So Ooh. she's a smart lady. She's been helping him out. Yeah. And but that's that's our big indicator of what she's really done and how she's pulled it off. Right. And just to make it clear as to what the command navigation program is, if you're a dork like me and you want to know this stuff, it's oh, a yeah. it was developed by computer scientist Gaius Baltar. The command navigation program is an operating system utilized by the colonial fleet and some civilian spaceships in the twelve colonies of Kobol. Installed in the central computers of Vipers and Raptors and in the navigation computers of almost all battle stars. It was two years in the making. Now, this is where she comes into it because he thinks that she represents somebody that's going to, with the knowledge that he gave her by letting her, quote unquote, poke around in the defense mainframe, (laughs) that she's going to take that knowledge and use it to get a better contract from the government and she can make more money. So he's like, yeah, you help me, but I'm helping you. So he does not realize that, although he's committing probably 15 different crimes. <laughs> yeah. 
that uh, he gets to poke her while she pokes around the defense. What a bad idea. That, <laughs> hey, if you let me, I know you're a high-level NSA contractor. If you just let me into the Pentagon and I can poke around in top-secret files, I sh- definitely can get you a better mortgage on your house. Well, if you look like her, uh. <laughs> I might let you. And then she says, God wanted me to help you. That's why I did it. Most, honestly, most shocking line of the episode. Indeed. I, did, I never could have predicted that. So she doesn't want her faith mocked. And then he's like, you know, I'm not really religious. I'm shocked that somebody would be taken in by mysticism. And that's when she's like, you know what? I'm out of here. And he says he's jealous, but she doesn't believe him, and they part ways. Mm-hmm. She turns to the camera and says, it's about time I wondered when you'd get here. So that obviously is a little bit of a mystery, but take me through your perspective. So you watch this episode. You yeah. see her show up at the Armistice Station. Then you see her in bed with him, and she's got a glowing spine. You know, uh, don't forget, weird. I see her kill a baby. <laughs> you see her accidentally kill a baby. And now you see her talking about God, what do you think at this point about six? Well, for one, she's obviously, you know, at this point, a bad guy. That's that's pretty well established. She's infiltrated. She's using him. Uh, we know something big is coming, is coming due to her. Um, her being religious and saying, you know, oh, God told me to. That, I think, uh, when she, you know, turns away from him and speaks to the camera, oh, you know, you're finally you're here. That makes me wonder if she's referring to... I don't know, Cylon civilization, the Cylon hive mind or whatever it is that they, they obey or are controlled by or how they function. If she's referring to that as God, you know, the Cylon consciousness, um, or if that's just another eccentricity of human beings that she's trying to explore by trying to believe in it herself. Um, because I think, you know, she has this strange, like, archaeological interest in human beings in a way. Like she wants to study our fossils even though we're alive. It's almost like she wants to help eradicate us so that then she can, you know, tool over, you know, the minutia of, of human civilization in her leisure and, and, and figure us out uh, as like specimens. There's it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because knowing your enemy is is a very good way to being able to defeat your enemy. Although sometimes you get, you get to know him too much and then you suddenly sympathize with him. Maybe you don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> or maybe you don't want to, but you do it anyway because you have to. So I like your perspective there. That's interesting. Now, also, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, that pinstripe suit the uh, guy was wearing was driving me crazy. <laughs> Come on. He looked boss. like a zoot suitor. <laughs> with his little cigar. Oh, ridiculous. It took me a while to come around to like Gaius. Gaius. It's hard to like him in the first episode. You got to So you out. like him, you're telling me? <laughs> I'm not even saying like him. I think, obviously, he's very intelligent. I, I can I get the sense he's going to matter a lot more. Uh, and he definitely, it's not like he doesn't give a shit about what's happened. He definitely has a lot of remorse. Um, I can see him being useful in the future, but boy, is he tough to, <laughs> tough to stomach this first episode. Yeah, he is... Uh... Without giving a spoiler, I'm just going to tell you he is one of my favorite characters. Ooh, all right. I'm there's along a lot. For the ride. There's a lot to him, and I'm not saying that because he's a good guy <laughs> or a bad guy. I'm just saying because he's he, he, <laughs> tread he, careful. He's interesting. All right. So Colonial Flight Seven Nine Eight arrives. Billy and Rosalind meet Doro. Billy gets distracted by Anastasia Duwala, otherwise known as D, a very pretty girl. He then gets lost. Billy wanders into the bathroom, and she's like, out or in? 
Like, what the fuck are you doing? Shut the door, dummy. And, uh, <laughs> I'm a tourist. Oh, we ha- no, a visitor. We had no idea. Obviously, she's a cutie pie, and um, he's totally distracted by her. Oh, yeah. Ad- Adama, Rosalind, and Doral walk. They discuss networking computers, and Adama lays down some smack on Rosalind right away. Big time. Yeah. He just unequivocally says, there will not be a networked computer system of any kind on this ship while I'm the commander, period. And it just is that understood? Is yep. that clear? Yeah. And yeah. she's like, yep, yes, sir. <laughs> she really <laughs> done. She falls in line quickly to lay off of him. And, and again, uh, this is this is the first time we're seeing Adama issuing a command and a negative one, telling someone they can't do something. And he does it in a totally firm, steadfast way, but he's not a dick about it. He's not, you know, wielding power uh, arbitrarily. You know, this is what he believes in. It's his principle. He sticks to it. And he says, even when he's being so firm, he's just like very quiet. He's like, this is what's happening. This is what we're doing. Do you, is that clear? And he's not yelling. He's obviously not being a prick. I think that's part of why people respect him. He doesn't savor uh, telling people no. I, again, his, he has a commanding presence in this role. Oh, yeah. There is a quiet about him, a quiet strength, a stoic and quiet strength about him. He doesn't fly off the handle. He he doesn't do these big speeches. He just walks directly up to you and says, do you understand? Mm-hmm. You need to understand. And he would happily yeah. explain it to you if you said you didn't. <laughs> right. That's correct. Now, we get a look in the break. Starbucks oh, yes. cooling her heels, doing some push-ups, and Lee taunts her. And uh, she fires back. Again, did they kiss your ass to your satisfaction, she says, which I love. Oh, yes. This is good. A lot of history between A these two characters. A lot of history. We are still, we, we aren't plot building at all. Yeah. At all. The only plot building we're doing is, is through Six and Gaius. Exactly, yeah. The underpinnings as to what will happen. This is very much a character-driven setup, and, I'm, and I love it. Oh, yeah. It's great. And, and I mean, she, it also, we were revealed here that not only does she really, that respect that we've talked about for her, between her and Adama, that really does run deep, but it's implied that maybe she had maybe some kind of romantic relationship with his brother who, who has now mm. died or at least a very close friendship. Maybe they were partners, uh, you know, in fight, you know, fighter pilot partners or something. They were close because, you know, he, she's basically the one telling him to lay off with the guilt uh, on William, on, on the commander. Right. Uh, you know, and he's saying, well, it's my brother. And she was like, what? Is, so he was nothing to me. And right. so she's basically saying, you know, they're vying for, you know, who meant, who's did uh, Zach, his brother, mean more to? You know, him as a brother or her as a possible lover? I'm not sure yet. Right. So we take three characters and we throw them into a internal struggle pit. Yeah. We have Kara with some kind of history with Zach, which is Lee's brother. And, of course, the father is Bill Adama. So mm-hmm. the three of them are inextricably connected. And they all have an internal struggle. So it's at this point that I think we should go through the characters and talk about them and their internal struggles because that is very well done. It's established with strength and with conviction by the writers, and it's executed with conviction from the actors. And that is why I think this is such a successful open to this show. And that's this. Go through the list. Chief Tyrrell, 
is hooking up with Lieutenant Valeri. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be a lot of conflict here other than he's a non-com in, in, as a chief. She's a commissioned officer as a lieutenant. She outranks him. I mean, that's fraternization, right? Yeah. Yep. That's why they have to bicker and go behind a vault. Right. We don't know much about Hilo at this point, but we do know that President Roslin is, has total cancer. She's dealing with the stress of that and the stress of leadership that gets thrust upon her, which we're going to learn in the second half of this. Guys, Baltar unwittingly allowed the Cylons to infiltrate the defense mainframe in surprise attack the colonies. And he essentially didn't... make an Alderaan of the whole damn planet. Like, All planets. Well, God. the planets they attacked. Yeah. You have Commander Adama, who is looking like he's getting towards the end of his career. They're, decommi- they're decommissioning a battleship. That means everything to him. And he doesn't know where, what, I mean, it's, it's going away. He's, he's at odds with his kid. He's not married. He's single, probably a lonely guy. Lost got, one of his children, yeah. Lost one of his children. We got Colonel Ty, who is an alcoholic by the looks of it, really looks up to Commander Adama, kind of butts heads with the rest of the crew. I mean, at yeah. least Tyrell and Starbuck. Definitely. He's, he's, he, he's a, a real abrasive guy. Yeah. Does not then, have the the kind of quiet magnitude that just draws respect that Adama does. Correct. He more just has to stand on his rank. You got Gaeta, who we don't really learn much about. You got who else? Who else should we talk about? Starbuck. Oh, yeah. She's embroiled in this thing with, wow, she's got a, somebody who she was close to, maybe she was with, who died, and that causes this riff with this other brother, and... And she's obviously close to him as well in some, you know, yeah. they're, they're definitely friends. They have a, you know, a history between those two. That's right. So, yeah, man, this is what I mean. This is how, in, 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 it's all, we have this internal conflict that goes deep. You know, later in the FPC, Colonel Ty, I think he's putting a cigarette or a cigar through a picture of his wife's face or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's burning out her eye with it. Uh. So not only do you have this interesting external conflict, uh, uh, an amateur could have made this and been like, here are these characters, they get attacked by Cylons, wow, this is intense and crazy, and then started in on the other side episodes that were the conflicts that build up these characters. Yeah. But no, they paint you that right up front, they make you real people, these are real people that you can relate to, that you can understand immediately, and you can watch how they all interact and how they are forced to interact because they end up being stuck together because of a result of these attacks. And now they have to bring their baggage and all this shit into this tense situation. And it's compelling drama to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, if you're, and if you're going to have this kind of show, you know, which you can look at it from one angle of, okay, what, what's our show? What is Battlestar Galactica? It's a sci-fi action war show. And that's what it is. And what is compelling about it? Cool, bad guys, cool weapons, cool ships, big battles, that's one aspect of it. If you really want to have the longevity in a show that sticks and matters to people, it it always falls down on the characters. Right. And so, it, yeah, it's really strong that basically, what, we're a half hour already in? Yeah, we're a little past half hour into the episode. And, and all, like you're saying, all we are doing is getting into the depth of the already existing history of these characters. And right. that's what matters, especially, you know, and I, I still don't quite – Know where it's going yet? Uh, I guess other other colonies still exist and other things are still happening, but it sure as hell looks by the end of this that they are 
definitely very much stranded. Uh, you know, the center of their universe is definitely the Battlestar Galactica and everybody who is able to get on board it. So, yeah, you have to have this chemistry between the people established. What You have to be able to see what future tensions may exist that don't even right now, but we, we can see the fuses. Right. Guys gets do busted, great. doesn't he? Ooh, busted hard. Not the woman you want to be busted by either. No. Uh, six wakes him up, boots the lady out, get out. And that lady knows that six is not to be trifled with. Good instincts. Yeah. Good on very, you. Very fatal uh, attraction looking over there. <laughs> Just legs crossed, not fucking around. I like how Gaius says to the woman in bed with him about six, he says, she's a friend. Well, more than a friend. Well, when I say friend, you know, he's such a snake. <laughs> there's, there's no smoothing your way out of this, he's man. He's such a snake. Gaius says, <laughs> look, it's me, all right? It's totally me. I screwed up. I screwed up. I always have been. It's a flaw in my character. And he's just fucking saying the most generic shit that anybody says ever when they're breaking up with somebody. <laughs> exactly. It's all right. It's totally me. I screwed up. It's I'm the fuck up here. It's not you, right? To which she has to just, of course, say, don't even give me all this generic. It, it doesn't matter. I yeah. came here to tell you something, not to listen to your BS. Right. And she lets that hang. Mm-hmm. We go back to Captain Apollo and, of course... Captain Captain Apollo and Commander Adama. They get together for this photo op for the press, and it is super <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> I love, again, that we've known, you put together all the scenes we've had of Lee at this point. We, he's been on screen for maybe three minutes. Adama, right. a little bit longer. But we already can sense all that tension when you're like, hey, put your arm around him. Hey, for the picture, put your arm around your son. And he's just like, Ugh. and they're both just... Okay, it's the military. We're following our orders. We're doing right. what we need to do. Ugh, but boy, yeah, it's just boiling right there beneath the surface. Yep. After the press leaves, uh, Commander asks his son, you want some coffee? He's like, no, sir. No, sir. Thank you, sir. Right? Yeah. Staying totally formal. So, oh, and then absolutely. Adama tries to chat with him. He offers him a congratulations for making captain. Their relationship is tense, you know, Lee's like, I'm going to follow my errors here. I don't want to really have a heart-to-heart with you. The funeral comes up, and then we get into this Zach talk. So we get more on this Zach piece. Mm-hmm. Basically, it sounds like, you know, we still don't have a, a, a super clear picture at this point. But what Lee accuses him of is pulling strings for his brother that only somebody in his position in the military would be able to pull and making it so his brother could be a fighter pilot when Lee claims he was not fit, not able to really be a fighter pilot, and he was just trying to be a man in the eyes of his father, right. and that got him killed. And it doesn't, you know, obviously, like we've saying, it's been 40 years since anybody's seen the Cylons, you know, 20 years uh, since they've even been using the Mark II Vipers. A lot of times past, this was not during war. And, uh, you know, Will Adama, you know, the commander even has to say, you know, accidents happen in the service. Yeah. This was just an accident. Um, of some kind that took his brother's life, took his son's life. And so basically that has been the rift between them of Lee saying he never should have been there, never should have been there at all, shouldn't have been in the service, definitely shouldn't have been a fighter pilot. You were the one who allowed it to happen. You killed him. Right. He's saying that inadvertently he put the pressure on him by creating this air around him that Zach knew would please his father. And you could almost see that, right? Yeah. The the thing you see about Commander Adama immediately is is that he is somebody that people want to please. 
because oh, yeah. of his command presence. People want to do well for him. They don't want to let him down. Now make him your son. Ooh, yeah. It's a and you're going to be like, damn, and my other brother's a pilot, and he was a pilot. I'm going to try to be a pilot too. And even though, and even if Lee was like, yeah, I don't know if this is for you, man, but you still go anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just complicated shit. And, you know, and it's, it's a small line, but what uh, Commander uh, Adama says in reply is he made his own choice, just like you did. And that's, that's no small thing, you know, as much as uh, that's, that's the rift of philosophy between the two of them, that Lee sees it as, no, the pressure of you being his and my father is what made him unable to back down from this, right. you know, this, this pursuit of honor, this pursuit of respect in your eyes. But then, you know, an older man, you know, William has to also say, well, he, we're all responsible for our own choices at the end of the day. That's, that's what makes a man, you know, because that big line from Lee saying, oh, a man's not a man until he puts on the wings of a viper sound familiar. Right. Isn't that something you said? Um, and that does sound like something what, that a, I, what I liked about that is I could totally imagine the younger, more brash yes. uh, commander saying that. Whereas, like, that is not what he would say now. That is right. not the same words would come out of his mouth. And he makes the point of, you know, what really makes a person, what makes an adult, a man, whatever you want to say, is somebody who can own their own choices and their own mistakes. Uh, but that is not what Lee wants to hear right now. He does not. He says, Zach did not belong in that plane. You killed him. Oof. And that's Heavy. when Commander Adama says, that'll be all, Captain, and goes right back to the formal language. That's exactly. something I think, it's just a well-written, a well-constructed scene. It starts off with a no, sir, thank you, sir, and it ends with the that'll be all, Captain. You know, they, they defer back to their impersonal military jargon uh, once their personal stuff doesn't work. Exactly. And I, I like that it was the commander reaching out the olive branch first. He was the one yep. trying to say, son, talk to me. Like, let, let, let's, let's work this out. Uh, but like you're saying, you know, he's the one who reverts back to it in the end. And again, as I was saying earlier on, you know, how I always thought of, and I still, you know, like I said, I will always have an undying affection for my Jean-Luc Picard, very measured man, but not like, I, like I imagine Picard in this situation, you know, draw a line here, no further. You know, he fucking does lose his shit and scream and get emotional. And Adama has just got it so locked down. He is just a vault upon vaults of, of so much going on in there, but he's not going to take a lid off of it. Right. I think that, you know, you've brought up Captain Picard twice. I think he is very much an idealized version of a certain future. Yeah. And I love him. Don't get me wrong. And I love him in the context of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think he's great. I think he's a perfect representation as to what the Federation was going for in that time period, trying to become more civilized, trying to be engaged in principles and trying to get people to join the UFP. And I think that Picard is somebody who is admirable in that he sticks to his principles and he is unyielding in them. And there is admiration in that because most people can't take responsibility for anything or or stick through anything. There's no resolve in people, generally yeah. speaking. And I think that's what makes Picard so attractive. A guy like Adama is very different. He's a family man who's made some mistakes. He's lost a son. Uh, he's looking to be at the end of his rope. He doesn't want Starbuck prosecuted. He's he's thinking in, in practicality, not simply in the principles or the rules and laws of the Federation. Whereas in this, with the colonial fleet, obviously if you punch the colonel, you got it, you're in trouble for that. 
but <laughs> we see a tighter, more familiar, like you've already used the term, type of situation with this group of people on the Battlestar Galactica, especially looking at the end of the Galactica's run yeah. and the decommissioning and is, I mean, is Bill Adama going to retire? What's going on here? We don't really know. They don't get into that, but we can speculate a little. Yeah, we get we we see where the momentum is going. We see Indeed. where the society is going. Definitely, you know, their ship itself. Yep. Six drops a bomb. <laughs> see what I did there? Oh. On Mr. Gaius Baltar, doesn't she? Yes, and by far the most unnecessary bomb. See, this is also the biggest one of the biggest contradictions about her is that uh, she did not have to come back here at all. Why Why would she have to tell him? Her mission mm. is accomplished. It's done. She mm. already had poked around in the defense. She's already contacted the Cylons. The attacks well, hold on a second. You're yeah. assuming you know her mission. Well, that is this is true. I don't know her. As far as commencing the attack and right. uh, getting Caprica done lit up, that that mission yeah. that's mission accomplished. Go ahead and fly the banner on the uh, the aircraft carrier, everybody. Mission fucking accomplished. It was already you know, at the end of the scene. We see the first light of the first bomb. So the fact that she has to come back to Gaius and not only tell this to him, but uh, later on in the same scene, you know, the same setting, hide him from danger. Tell him to get down. Help him get away. There is some you know, and like you're saying, you know, and I don't. This may be some long con from her, some long play where they need Gaius alive, this or that. Got to infect his ideas, get his influence. Who knows? All I'm saying is I have a theory also that there is some genuine sympathy here. She doesn't want him to die for her own feelings. Whether she can admit that or not, whether she would think that, whether she is conscious of that, she's coming back there unnecessarily to make sure he's not going to die and to enlighten him. Tell me about what you think of her biologically and psychologically speaking. What do you think she is? See, that's the, that's the other strange thing. You know, in this scene where she's saying, you know, she's telling him she's synthetic and he's saying, so you're a robot. You know, you're just another Cylon. She's like, no, I'm a woman. You know, she insists mm. not only, you know, which is, uh, uh, you know, which let's, let's unpack that. You know, it's a term that both says I'm a human, I'm an organic human, and I am female. You know, she is fully waving the flag of I'm human and I'm female. She's also just seeming to say I'm more than that also. Mm. And that's that's the weird part about it. That's what makes her such a conundrum to me. It's – excuse me. I'm knocking my mic around. It's it's a wild – it's pretty wild, man. Uh, you know, I, I like – I like hearing your observations about it. I like uh, seeing what it is you think. Because <laughs> you know how wrong I am. <laughs> no, no, no. It's cool because there's. I, I recall some of my thoughts when I first watched it, and um, I'm trying to remember. Does she say I'm a I'm a woman? I does she use that term? Yeah, she literally says I'm a woman. Okay, cool. I like that. I like that she does that, and uh, I do like how she tells him. You know I'm telling the truth because you've always known. It didn't add up. It flatters your ego that you were chosen for my mission. Mm-hmm. Now, this scene does confuse you because oh, yeah. you're curious as to why. When she engages with him, there's expressions on her face where she's really genuinely concerned about his response and what he thinks and what he feels. Yeah. And that's what's so confusing about Six. About yes. Six's mission. 
Oh, yeah. The defense frame comes up, and he starts to panic. Oh, w- yeah. Wait a minute. He sits up, right? He starts to piece it together. Right. Oh, bad day. Here is what I think is fascinating about the Gaius character. I didn't, he starts to say. And then he says, how many people know? Uh-huh. Gaius Baltar's reaction here is very human to me. Oh, yeah. And it's you, it's you, how do I not get in trouble for this shit? <laughs> yeah. Right? It's both selfish, but in a way where you can't blame him. Because you don't get the... She tries to frame it a little bit, and also another weird detail. She tries to frame it as like, oh, you knew that I was doing, you know, you knew what we were doing was essentially illegal, and it was a stroking of your ego uh, to let me do it to get what I wanted. But as much as that may be true, he didn't know. If if she was like, yeah, I'm going to go poke around in the defense frame so I can let the Cylons nuke the entire world, of course he wouldn't be okay with it. It's mm. not like, you know, she tries to make him, oh, you've aided and abetted me in this, which is not true. <laughs> he didn't want right. that. Um, and so I do fully buy his remorse and his terror at, I can't believe I've been a part of this, making this terrible thing happen. But I do, like you said, I like his first reaction of, oh, because he still, you know, he has no idea of the scale of the attack. He just thinks, oh, shit, I've, <laughs> I've aided the Cylons into getting into our secret stash. Um, and basically is like, well, fuck, if they find out about this, that's the death penalty. That's treason. And right. she's the one, you know, pounding that into him. I think that that selfishness does not totally, but a lot of it does leave when he realizes the real scale of this. This is not, oh, I, I helped uh, the Cylons get some information. It's, no, I helped the Cylons start a worldwide apocalypse. Right. It's funny that he, that his remorse comes in clips, but then it is almost at times overwhelmed by his survival instinct. Yeah. Which is, okay, this could be treason. I need to call my attorney. How many people know? Like, these are the things that start to enter his mind versus this immense amount of remorse and how I'm going to repent for for what I've done here. Mm -hmm. And that's when she says, don't bother making a phone call because in a few hours, no one will be left to charge you with anything. She (sighs) says it with such a cold humanity. Oh, yeah. Oof. Or she says a lack of humanity. And then she says, humanity's children are returning home today and then boom the first light of the first nuclear bomb Mm. god wherever the cylons went to go make their own homeworld has a lot of radioactive material Mm. (laughs) every single damn ship of theirs has nukes on it indeed unless they're using unless some of these planets have nukes right on them that they've through getting into the back door of that cnp program just activate oh no that's a good point that's a good point true so we get a break from that, and we go right to the decommissioning ceremony. We get the old-school Battlestar Galactic original series music, which was cute. And then we have Doral introducing Commander Adama, and he gives a speech. And I got some of it written down here. Oh, it's great. Really rousing, <laughs> a cheerful speech. <laughs> he says, he discusses how sometimes the cost of the uniform can be too high. Why are we as people worth saving? We still commit murder, greed, spite, jealousy. We still visit all of our sins upon our children. We refuse responsibility for anything we've done, like we did with the Cylons. We played God. We created life. When that life turned against us, we comforted ourselves in the knowledge that it wasn't our fault. You can't play God and then wash your hands of the things that you've created. 
sooner or later, you can't hide from what you've done anymore. Ooh, it's so good. He just walks off. And this is another, this is a big, I feel like this is almost Ronald D. Moore hoisting his flag of like, this is the kind of world that this show inhabits. This is this. This is Battlestar Galactica. You know, what is different from it and a show like Next Generation, like we already said, the utopian shiny world where basically everything in the world of their civilization is fine. And there, yeah, there are other civilizations that aren't as good and they're, you know, encountering them, fighting with some of them, you know, hey, the Borg's out there, other bad threats exist in the world, external threats. But he's really hammering home in this of tackle, you know, trying to grapple with the philosophical idea of, are we the good guys? You know, what makes us the good guy? What makes us so sure of ourselves? Why are we, you know, holding the mantle? Uh, are, <laughs> basically, if we've created our own enemy, what does that say about us? Indeed. And that's a massive, massive question. And like, you know, like he says at the very end of it, you know, chasing after their own sins and their their own sins coming back on them and how you – I really like how you've made the point that, that is – this show that kind of defines it. And I really can't wait to see how that goes because that so far, just in this very first episode is how it feels to me of the greater conflicts of the show are things that have been created by the characters folding back onto them. And that even the largest conflict is not separate from that. It is our own creations coming back on us, which also I, my longer arcing theory for the show is that six is going to be something like that for the Cylons as well. It's going to be a full-blown three-section snake eating its damn tail. Interesting. So, yeah, he, uh, he, he gets to the speech. He gets to the theme of the show in that, and that's uh, what you're saying there is what's happening. Our sins return to haunt us, and that's what we got going on, don't we? Definitely. Colonial Flight 798 departs with Captain Apollo as an escort. <laughs> And then we have Gaius watching the news. Stations wink out as bombs hit. What have I done, he says. And then he says, what am I going to do? This simple sentence in the miniseries encapsulates Gaius Baltar, in my opinion. What have I done, remorse? What am I going to do, survivor? Yeah, yeah. And it's done in one sentence. I love it. He intends on surviving. And it seems, you know... Although there's a lot of slimy selfishness about this character, it doesn't seem it does seem to me that he's intending on contributing to the survival of the species as well when he says that. That's how it, I read it anyways. That sentence is funny because he does not ever question whether or not the sins he's created are returning to haunt him, right? In the speech we just got, one of the things mentioned is, is you can't play God and wash your hands with the things that you've done. That's what Adama says. Gaius made some mistakes, and now those mistakes are coming home to roost. And he has a remorse for it, but he's less concerned with the remorse and more concerned with surviving. I love it. Yeah, yeah. There's no way out. He gets pissed at six, and then flash. She says, well, I can't die, because he's like, surely you, you have a ship. You're going to leave. Like, what, what, yeah, how you're are not going to die in your own bombs. <laughs> and that's when she says, I can't die. There are 12 models. I'm number six. And then we get a planet cam, and we see nukes going off on Caprica. Damn, son. Ooh, that shot is devastating. Good God. Just, I mean, there are dozens of nuclear explosions that are visible. God yep. knows how many more. We get a priority one message 
A Cylon attack is underway. This is no drill, Gator reports. Holy shit. And then we get to our infamous action stations, action stations, set condition one throughout the ship. This is not a drill. And the crew responds, as you would imagine, a Commander Adama crew responds. Mm-hmm. Ty looks at the report. He's like, this is a joke. This is a retirement joke. You know, he's, his, his uh, uniform's unbuttoned. He's carrying his cup. And Adama's <laughs> like, I don't think so. Yeah, I love his first instinct is, ah, you're retiring. They're probably just fucking with you. Don't worry about it. He's like, uh, I don't, this is a pretty elaborate prank. <laughs> Commander Adama dresses the crew. Admiral Nagala on the Atlantia has command of the fleet. Pycon was hit where the fleet headquarters was. As of this moment, we are at war. Boom. So it begins. People start moving. I love it. They come alive. Chief Tyrrell fires up the deck crew. This better be for real, he says. (laughs) That was my favorite. Let's get some us, And then whisper, oh my God, this better be for real. (laughs) If we're going through all this pain and effort. Commander Adama tells Ty that we need something to shoot. So Ty starts to look for ammo depots, get Kara Thrace out of the brig. The mm-hmm. combat air patrol, or CAP, as it's called, with the commander of the air group, Major Spencer, heads out, and he wants to engage Cylon fighters. Spencer asks Boomer and Hilo, who are in the Raptor, for more intel on the Cylon fighters because the fighters are not, they don't have the greatest sensor suites. That's what the Raptors are for, their support vehicle. Mm-hmm. Back in the CIC, we have Gaeta and Commander Adama planning things out. Kara reports for duty. Uh, and, and Adama's like, look, I need fighters and pilots. And she's like, well, you got pilots, but fighters are a problem, which leads them. Oh, so leads, good. So awesome, which leads her and the chief and the deck crew to go down to the museum wing. D reports to Gaeta that there is a lot of malfunctioning being reported throughout the fleet. A cute little aside right there. Mm-hmm. D is the communications officer, and she goes to the officer of the watch, which is Gaeta, and she says, listen, there's malfunctioning being reported throughout the fleet. You need to know this. Yeah. And They're she describes power. it as, yeah, she say it, some of the battle stars that they're already losing, they've already lost entire battle star ships, and she's, they're saying the last reports they were getting is that it's almost as if they're being turned off like a switch. They're just right. the whole, the power of the entire ship, all of their systems, their radios, everything, boom, gone in an instant. Boom. Back at the combat air patrol, we got Major Spencer and his wing engaging Cylons, weapons free. Let's go get them. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, that music. It rules. It's so good. I that I am that was my happiest surprise with watching this show. I oh, it's cool. savored that music. I thought it was fantastic in these scenes. Yep. It's funny. I that's something I loved too. But then everything else I was so happy with. I'm like, Dreadus is cool. Like, it sounds cool. <laughs> like when they're the radar thing, the ships sound cool. I like their ranks. I like, you know, that's the, I was worried about all those little technical details and it, they just crushed it. Oh, yeah. And again, but you know, before we get too far past it, I wanted to mention that detail too between uh, Adama and Starbuck when she's finally out. You know, again, that kind of, it's spoken, but it is also unspoken in a way. He doesn't tell her what to do. They're not bickering and arguing about, oh, well, try this or let's do this. He just says, I seem to remember there was a whole fleet of ships downstairs. And she immediately, yes, sir, and just understands. They have that, like, they're just Indeed. on the same wavelength. She yes. automatically knows, let's go get those museum pieces and fire them up. 
He also tells them they lost 30 fucking battle stars in the opening attack, which was a quarter of the fleet. Quarter of the fleet. In That's one crazy. day, in one battle. Oh, in a matter of what, two, three hours probably at mm. this point. Tops. Boomer and Hilo in the Raptor keep tabs on the Cylons while the Raptors advance scan with the with the Raptors advanced scanning package. Meanwhile, the Cylon Raiders employ a type of EMP attack and it just cripples the entire oh. combat air patrol. They just go yeah. dead in space. Those little the little visor pieces, the same on the Centurions, are the same on uh, those ships. And I like that Spencer even makes the observation right before they hit him with that little EMP attack. That he's like, "There's no co- you know, there's no cockpit in these. These are unmanned. These right. are just like drones." Yep. And they just wave. And that then little- you hear that boom, 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 that ejecting of the fucking missiles. That thup, 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 when they shoot them out and they just. Oh, that God. is brutal. Those guys stuck in their cockpits. They can't even eject. That The feeling of helplessness in that Ugh. scene where when they turn off, and it's not just that they turn off for a second and they're looking around, and you see them drifting into one another, bouncing off of each other, just helpless, Love just it. careening towards them. And even Boomer, you know, they're just saying, like, why are they just drifting towards them? What are they doing? They're not it's, talking It's anymore. unbelievable. Ugh. And then... The face like that, uh, as he sees the missile coming in, because, you know, he sees the cone of that thing right before oh, it hits the cockpit. God, yeah. <sighs> brutal. It is brutal. So brutal. You know, that that's one of the, uh, the achievement of this show for me that I really loved. You know, they made space combat again feel very visceral, not cold and, you know, oh, a little, you know, they're firing at each other and you see kind of some of the damage inside. We're seeing bodies flying off into space. You know, we're seeing the the shrapnel hitting other ships. It's just so much more chaotic and messy and and, and shocking. Outstanding. And then, of course, Hilo and Sharon are like, we're out of here, and they take (laughs) off. I I like that they don't, take too long in that decision they're like all right we 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 know we can't stick around right and then two cylon raiders break off and go in pursuit of them we get the colonial flight three hours from caprica Roslyn returns from the bathroom and sees the tension of the crew so we're just we just tease that a little in the next scene and then we go back to the raptor flight with Hilo and boomer and the raiders launch a couple missiles missiles at them also and, nuclear uh, i do believe yeah, and then they drop a couple of swallows, which must be like shaft pods, and yes. they work because the missiles hit them, but the detonation is close to the raptor. We get the raptor damage. Shrapnel goes through the raptor, through Hilo. Yeah. Ouch. And then Boomer's like, we need to coast to Caprica. So they kill the engines. They coast to Caprica. And they're going to put down there so they can fix their fuel lines. That was a great call. I like that's another. We're getting a piece of this character here of her ingenuity, her on the you know feet thinking because she says, you know, what are we surrounded by? This debris field of destroyed ships. Yep. We turn off our power so that we can't be picked up on scanners. We just drift in a straight line from our you know uh, momentum, and they're just going to think of us as another piece of uh, <laughs> fucking space dirt, basically. And once we're close enough to Caprica, we use that last burst of fuel to get down on the ground and fix ourselves. Boom. Commander Dama, he says, uh, listen, (laughs) he tells the crew that there's been nuclear damage under Caprica City and other places. Mourn the dead later. That is a hell of a line. He's got a point. (laughs) Yep. This is no time. The best thing we can do right now is get this ship in the fight. Roslyn asks about Caprica. And then the pilot reveals Caprica and three other colonies were nuked. 
She steadies his hand as he's reading the message. I love this tension here. Again, realistic. I like that a lot. She offers to do the announcement for him. They're both afraid. And then Rosalind addresses the passengers. And then she starts to put people to work, which yeah. is smart. It's, you know, we might be here for an extended stay. Let's get to work. Doral is like, well, who put you in charge being a dick? I know. Like, that was one of those things where I was like, well, what's the alternative, man? Right, well, who right. who gave you power? I love her response to it. She was like, well, no one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. She's stepping up. and yes. But then she does go on to clarify it of like, well, this is a government ship and I'm the highest ranking government official here. So that puts me in charge. Right. Because you know, right. she knows she's got to pat him on the head and give him an explicit logical reason. Yep. And then we get Billy revealing that his sister recently moved to PyCon. One of the targeted locations, of course. And then Rosalind talks to a man named Jack. And uh, Jack reveals that the Cylons didn't make any demands. Rosalind brings up surrender. And this gets to what we said earlier. The president tried. The Cylons ignored. And then this conversation gets broken up by an incoming missile. Oof, yeah. Fortunately, Captain Lee Apollo is there. And he puts himself in the missile's path and guns it down. But his ship gets kind of fucked up. And he has to go into Crypto, Crypto, Crypto which is their version of Mayday, I guess. Uh, Crypto, Crypto, Crypto. He has to abandon, he ejects, and then he has to go on board the Colonial One as it's going to be renamed. Now, that was one... Okay, so you maybe can clarify this for me. Did they... Did he have to abandon that Viper and there was there happened to be another one on their ship? Or did he? Did they pick up his whole ship? I don't know. They might have dragged it on board damaged. I don't remember exactly that detail. Yeah. But the ship got... The ship became too damaged to fly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think he got hit with another. Well, that's the other side, too, is that um, nuclear devices. And I think the Cylons, pretty much everything they're firing is nuclear to some extent. They even say later on that, uh, you know, we, we I don't think about, the ship to ship are. Well, I don't know, because they said uh, they, they talk about kiloton devices, whereas most nuclear bombs are megaton. So it sounds like they have kilotons, which would be smaller. Like they have just smaller, more compact yet nuclear devices that are they, making smaller explosions but still they do but that's for the ones they shoot at the big targets like colonial one or like the big capsules or battle stars yeah yeah they don't shoot those for like viper fighting that's just oh, regular okay. anti-ship missiles well i was just gonna say nuclear devices do kind of leave an emp after going off and his his systems get all blacked out that's why i was right if, if that and was I, the same effect i think that's why i think i think it was nuclear nature because he, they were firing it at the colonial ship oh gotcha there and go. he just got in the path of it and it started to track him but yeah, yeah that's what happens his ship he i think he blows it away and then the emp yeah he shoots him out yeah mm-hmm. and that's yeah. and I, so i think his ship doesn't get destroyed i think he, they just tow it on board or something there you go that would be my guess we have worked it out oh adorable so crypto <laughs> crypto crypto he goes down back in caprica Hilo and boomer are in a field they're working on the raptors fuel lines we see mushroom clouds going off in the distance what a fucking place to be Oh yeah, this is some very. This is Terminator Two. There's probably a dead Sarah Connor hanging onto a chain link fence nearby somewhere. Absolutely. I mean, this is so bad, so bad. Just all of them in the background, and what a like. It, it took me a second to realize, and especially in the first watch, you know, the idea that oh, who's coming? It's not Cylons. There's not a ground invasion. It's just other people, and yep. they immediately, both of them have full understanding of how dangerous that is. That's right. The hysteria of people who are just desperate and terrified. Right. I like that a lot because 
it's good writing. They don't, they're not like, oh, great, survivors. They're like, fuck. These people are going to be desperate. They're going to be crazy. And this is our only way to get back to Galactica is to get on this thing. If not, we're lost out here. Yeah, we're dead. And I mean, right. who knows how many more bombs are going to keep coming? You're seeing that's right. You're, you're, there are four mushroom clouds in your field of vision. Good God! Like you Bad know more are coming. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, guys among the refugees. There he is. You, oh, you know, six helped him get in there. You know, she helped him get out of that house, get away. Interesting, huh? Shoved his little, you know, packed him a lunch and you know, patted his little fanny off to go run through the field with other survivors. Lee gets on board the colonial flight and meets Rosalind. She's giving orders about recovering survivors. Lee asks about this, and that's when Doral's like, well, <laughs> they don't know the tactical situation. And she's like, well, we're losing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think pretty sure we just got our asses kicked, man. <laughs> don't you love? But no, we skipped over Doral's tattling to Lee first. He runs down there before he yeah, can get yeah, off the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need to come get in charge. This big mean lady's giving us orders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you God, you sniveling little. Bleh. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously, they, and they they, uh, they have his his ship on board. But so we pick people up and try to find a safe haven. She says, mm, and "That is her like, idea of a mission at this point." And he's like, "Well, she's in charge." <laughs> yep, pretty much. So Hilo and Boomer try to keep people at bay. They're forced to fire at feet and in the air. Boomer complies when the mob begs for them to take the children. So she's like, all right, we can take this many children. And then she offers to take three people via lottery. So Hilo tells the crowd that he will shoot anyone who tries to board. And he's serious. I will fucking kill you if you try to get on the ship. Yeah. Three people are coming. We're going to do a lottery. Oof. Don't blame him. That's, that's blame the only him. logical idea. More madness continues with the Galactica. We see Ty and Adama launching Vipers. Uh, Mad Cat gets out. And then Starbuck gets stuck in the launch tube. I love the scene. Oh, because yeah. I love her aggravation and frustration as she has to listen to them get their asses kicked while she's stuck in the tube. Yeah, yeah, the, and it's the, purely the annoyance is so palpable. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's not even a, a frustration at them. It's just a I hate that I can't be. Yes, helping. I yes. hate that I my my friends are out there dying. You know, we are being attacked, and I can't do anything about it. And I. I, I it's because of a, an old gauge. Is that what it is? Cause I mean, this is like they're saying at the beginning, it's the Mark two. It's the same that Adama flew when, you know, 20 something years ago, 40 years ago when he was in the Cylon war. Um, and so that's, you know, they're just old equipment yes. at this point. Yes. And they're literally, you know, <laughs> what is it? Isn't it Tyrol at some point is like, well, Oh, well it's this gauge. And she's like, we'll tear it out. And he's like, no, we can't just tear it out. And then just a little bit later, he's like, fuck it, tear it out. Just tear yep. the damn thing out. Let's yep. get her out there. And when she shoots out, she gets her war drums, and uh, she oh. just fucks fools oh. up. Oh, so good. Oh, my <laughs> God. So good. Love it. And Love. if you notice, the Cylon tries to EMP her, and it doesn't work. Yeah, because she's got that old system. Yeah, son. Oh, boy, you ain't gonna dis- you're going to disable this old West revolver. That's right. And then we get the radiological alarm, of course, because the radar launches a nuke at the Galactica. Yes. Adama right. says to Ty, brace for contact, my friend. And Ty's like, haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> this old drunk. Yeah, so I fucking grizzled. He is uh, grizzled as shit. I, I, you know, I was trying to remember what she says, but, you know, basically when, when that uh, Cylon ship tried to EMP wiper and it didn't work, 
and, you know, she said she notices that it's scanning her. She can tell it is, and then it doesn't work, and she just strafes it apart. She says something like, "We can get them," or like, "We've yeah. we've got this." Everybody just totally leading the charge. It's awesome. So they get hit by a nuke, and the damage is significant. Starbuck assesses it from outside of the ship. Uh, port flight pods are down. We've got hull decompression. Adamus tells Ty to take command of the uh, damage control unit, the DC unit. Ty's not really feeling it because he knows tough decisions are typically made in this situation. And uh, he goes down, uh, Ty meaning, and he finds out that fire suppression is down, water mains are down, another decompression is moving through the port pod. Seal off everything forward to frame 34, he says, and start venting the compartments. Mm-hmm. And that's when Tyrrell steps in. Yeah, and he's saying, I've got people in there, a hundred or more people in all of these bulkheads. Right. We can't, you know, and basically what he's saying is to vent them, to open them up, spray everything in there out, you know, and, you know, deoxygenate the fire, put it all out. Uh, but that anybody who's there is going to be shot into fucking space. Um, and basically, Tyrrell's argument is, hey, give me 40 seconds, we can evacuate those areas. But uh, hey, then the colonel hey. is saying- We don't have a minute! <laughs> we don't have a minute! If the fire gets to the fuel lines, we lose the whole ship. Right. Yeah. Ty Oof. manually seals the bulkheads, right? He who passes judgment swings a sword. There you go. And uh, he vents a few bodies, kills the fire, and 100% saves the ship. Yeah. Oh, Ty yeah. Ty tells the chief that if they remember their training, they may have their suits on. Yeah, and, he, and then, of, of course, the chief, you know, Tyrell is like, well, there are a lot of rooks down there. And he says, there ain't no rooks anymore. It's beautiful. Oh, boy, anybody who's alive, ain't no rookie. So this is a, um, you see this a lot in, like, submarine movies. Yeah. Right? Oh, we got to close the bilge, we got to close off the bilge bay or whatever. Like, part of the ship is, we got to see, and then there's, there's semen down there, and they get locked down and they end up drowning. <laughs> You know, yeah. this is a trope we've seen before, but it's effective here. And I like that Ty has to do it because Ty's already at odds with people. And this just makes him, makes it harder on him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think he's very used to in peacetime, pretty much relying on stable conditions and being in the good graces of uh, Adama. You know, they're not, none of these people, you know, I think Adama, maybe I guess the Colonel, Colonel Ty has seen war, has seen combat. Indeed. Everyone else is absolutely lived in a world of peace, a Cylon-free world. They were, you know, they, we we went over, you know, they're having some chatter. The first ships that get EMP, you know, the first Vipers that get EMP wiped when they're, you know, confronting the Cylons, they're having chatter beforehand saying, we don't really know what they look like. We saw these pictures, there were these pictures there, and they're saying, well, those were pictures 40 years ago. That's the last time anybody saw Cylons. This is a whole, we have a whole generation of people who don't even know what the enemy looks like anymore in person. Um, yes. Now I'm gonna have to get clarity on this, but there what I think there have been things that happened between colonies, though. Oh, like okay. I don't think the only enemy to humanity is the Cylons. I think that there oh, have I been see, okay. internal wars before. Yeah. I don't know if these characters participated in them. That's something I'm gonna have to look up. So I'm gonna write myself a note about. There we are. I can't look it up. I could spoil. No, I, I could spoil my Virgin Snow, Dean. All right, did colonies battle each other? Because I thought they did. Because why would Starbuck be an amazing pilot with no combat experience? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So we'll have to get to the bottom of that. Now, back on Caprica, you have Boomer and Hilo 
uh, calling out the lottery numbers. Nolan, he has 47. And uh, guys, wrestles with stealing that fucking ticket. Oh, yeah. He did. <laughs> the line where, you know, oh, the woman's so like, good. can you can you look at my number for me? And he sees it. He knows it's 47. And <laughs> then Hilo's like, hey, you, I didn't do anything. I love I it. Didn't do, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> I love it. That <laughs> killed me. I was dying laughing. So good. <laughs> you Aren't got- you guys Baltar? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he's like, oh, yeah, no, that's right. I'm just a benevolent genius. Don't worry. I am so, I am morally superior as well. Yeah, it's funny shit. Oh, my God. That was perfect. But and yeah, then, then Hilo ooh. drops a bomb on Bummer by saying, I'm giving up my seat to Guy Baltar. Yeah. One of the greatest minds of our generation. So, I mean, he really is like they're Albert yeah. Einstein, I guess. He's recognizable. He's a public face. He's definitely recognizable. A cult media following. So, I mean, that alone, yeah. people are going to know who he is. It's crazy. And he must see me, you know, and it's not just that he's a cult figure or popular. He must really be so brilliant that a, a, a soldier would be willing to give up not their seat, but their life. He knows he's stepping off to his death to do this. To this, this person is so important. Their mind is so important that they need to survive. They need to get out of here. And I'm willing to die to make sure that happens. That's that's a big statement. That's a profound thing that these people who've never actually met uh are exchanging here that he's willing to exchange his life so that that was a big when i when this happened i was like jesus christ gaius must really be important i mean like there is more to come with him i really in the the first few minutes of the show i thought he was a character that might die halfway through this first part of the miniseries that you know he was just a pawn in six's plan but that's definitely not the case Mm -hmm. so Hila has to blow a guy away. Uh, obviously, Boomer's not down with this plan. She's very sad. It's very emotional. I like this. This is effective storytelling. Oh, yeah. That when the Raptor's taking off, she puts her hand on the glass. You know, you can tell she's crying. I like that. I like the emotion here. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, Guys gets his first vision of six as he's boarding the Raptor. Now, is this... Oh, I, I have to be careful with my line of questioning here because you know the answers. Ugh, and I'm just speculating. But th- I couldn't tell... If this is just an emotional hallucinatory moment for him where he's just like, oh, seeing her face as part, you know, the fault of all of this and he feels terrible. Or if she's really like actually infected his mind and is is getting in there and making stuff happen. I don't know. I don't know. Tough to say, but he sees her and then she's gone. So obviously it's in his mind, right? It's in his mind, but how in his mind? But how in his mind? (laughs) So, back on Colonial Flight 798, we get the government emergency case orange, only called if the president, vice president, and most cabinet members are dead. Rosalind sends in her code, and she goes to sit down and rest. Yeah, and that that sending in that code is definitely all surviving government officials who can hear this are to send in their code to so that we can get an assessment of who's alive. That's, right. That's, that we're, it's, it's a roll call for who's not dead. Wonderful. <laughs> Lee goes to sit with her. She reveals that she's 43rd in line for presidency. And then the pilot comes over and hands her a message. And she says, we're going to need a priest. Boom. Full-blown LBG, LBJ style fucking <laughs> sworn in as president. There yep. we are. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's also Did you another... know that was coming? Um, no. No, no. I know. I know. I'm that's telling awesome. you. I that's awesome. I have no idea about any of this. <laughs> Totally unspoiled for me. 
Um, yeah, completely blew me away. That uh, I, I mean, by the time the case Arden's thing was out there, I was like, oh shit, she's probably going to become president. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then when Lee, see, but they but they pull you back off the trail when she's like, yeah, forty third in line. You're like, oh, <laughs> You're like, that's oh, like. I, that's what I thought when I first saw. I was like, "Oh, is that is, is this bitch going to be president?" And then they and then they were like forty third. I'm like, "Oh, definitely not." <laughs> we'll see. And that's that's when after that, it's really driven home how dire this really is. The forty forty three of the top government officials are all dead. This is our president now, and it's happening on a little transport ship uh, between one battle star. You know, we're, when we get that much of a narrowing of the important people, you know, now the president of all twelve of the colonies is among our, you know, main 12 people. It's like, shit, that's how small the world has become for them. Yeah. You know, we've lost that much so fast. Oh, yeah. The world gets pretty small. Whoa. I love her acting here. I think She's she really a, good. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. Old Dances with the Wolves. Well, what? Yeah, Mary McDonald, that's her. Oh, shit. Did is, not put that together. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she uh she does a good job. Her hand is shaking, she's she's nervous. It's excellent. And then back yeah. on the Galactica we see Chief Tyrrell observing the aftermath of the damage. Ty tells Dama that eighty five were lost. Ty also reveals that the Ragnar station should be able to supply them with the ammo they need. I think he calls it Ragnar Anchorage though. Yes. Uh huh. So this is cut against dead people. Uh, we see Kelly yeah. and Tyrrell mourning Prasna. Uh, Chief Tyrrell is pissed off. And he goes to tell Adama a piece of his mind, doesn't he? Yes, he does. That son of a bitch. 40 maybe a, seconds. Maybe a bad move. Oh, yeah. As he comes to learn. because no, the, the way Adama turns and looks at him. Oh, man. I think Adama handles this brilliantly. I love Chief Tyrrell. And uh, I think the way Adama handles this is brilliantly because he's not going to sell his XO down the river unless he's a bad leader. And we already know that the show has established that he's not a bad leader. Oh, yeah. He's, right? And he's not only not going to throw his XO under the bus, he's not going to dress down the chief in front of everybody either. He's not going to be like, how dare you That's question right. authority. He just quietly says to him, he's your XO. He made a very tough call. It's the same one I would have made. Right. He just and there's a look. Him. A look cr- crosses Tyrrell's face. Like mm, I don't know about that. Like I don't know if he would have done that. And yeah. then he just says, "Resume your post." He and doesn't embarrass it. him. He doesn't, like you said, he doesn't make a public shame of it. Yeah, and he does not even. He doesn't even privately shit on Tyrrell. He's just saying no. that was your EXO. He made a very tough call. It's the same one I would have made. Get back to your post and keep helping. That's right. it. Like right. what? What? It's it's such. It's so deft and simple and it's just a perfect little moment of leadership of where he's not selling out anyone he's just he is defending his crew among his own crew and he has to if you want your crew to take your executive officer seriously you can't undermine him no if you undermine him you're fucked right yeah you're gonna start to lose everything all of the ribbons of command and control throughout this start getting shaken and and loose ty re-enters the scene tiro kind of gives him a look and he briefs Adama on the Ragnar Anchorage logistics. He says, well, there's a Cylon fleet between us. And that's when Adama and Ty bring up the FTL jump drive. Uh-huh. Yeah, because otherwise it would be a two-day drive, they're saying, at even their full normal speed, at the fastest they can go, two days worth of you know trying to avoid Cylon patrols. And that ain't going to work. No. So Ty doesn't love the idea, but he executes the order anyway. Spool up the FTL. D is visibly shaken, 
and she delivers Command Adam a priority message, which reveals that Admiral Nagar is dead. The Battlestar Atlantis has been destroyed, as well as Triton, Columbia, and Solaria, and the list goes on. And then Commander Adama assumes the command of the fleet. Woof. The entire fleet. Good golly, Miss Molly, their world is shrinking. Exactly. That's what's so shocking about this. You know, you get that feeling of an expansive world, an expansive universe, and we're watching it dwindle away for them. Yeah. Yep. Back on the renamed Colonial One, uh, the pilot finds a few civilian ships. They get an order message. All units order to regroup at Ragnar Anchorage from the fucking commander of the fleet, Adama. That's the rendezvous point. We regroup here. We get all basically survivors collected in one place to to not just retaliate, but to regroup and get a, you know a heads on things. And then Roslyn's like, "No, he'll come assist us with rescue ops." <laughs> this and is Lee's my... like, uh, what? Uh, I don't think he's going to take that very well. And she's like, well, you know. I'm the fucking president, so. <laughs> I love I, this fucking shit. This is so good. The end this of this is episode. So, it is. It's really good. And I, it's tough for me because I really liked Rosalind the whole episode. And I really liked Adama the whole episode. I'm leaning a little more towards Adama in this, you know, in this little tug of war of decisions. I totally think that um, you know Rosalind's instinct is is a good one. That's the best one. It's we we need we stick out for our own. There are people out here stranded who are ours. We go help them. We find them. We have space on board. We're gonna fucking help people. Right. It's like what an admirable thing. That that's of course the best thing to do. But damn, you know the biggest point uh, of of problem in that, like they say, is we don't know the situation tactically here. For all we know, there are hundreds of Cylon ships just swarming around Caprica, watching it get destroyed, making sure no one's escaping. And we fly back in here, this undefended little transfer right. ship. We're going to get lit up, and that's it. The president's the next – now we're going to the 44th. Like, but, you know, fucking secretary of agriculture up next. I mean, like, you know, I get that. God, is it is it worth the risk in this situation? Are we really – is that something we want to do? But I really like her. So I don't know. This was a tough call. I, I'm Very leaning cool. towards Adama. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about because you have her where she's saying, well, we got people here that need help. We can't really do a counterattack. Like, what are you talking about? And that's when Adama is, I, I like when Lee says, confirm receipt of order. Yeah, and what he's the like, hell does that mean? What the fuck kind of games are you playing? He's like, well, I hear you, but I can't really obey you <laughs> because the president is telling me something else. And that's when Adama drops the, we're in the middle of a war and you're talking, taking orders from a school teacher. I love it. It's great. <laughs> oh, shit. Inbound Cylon fighters, Lee and Rosalind argue a little bit. Lee wants to leave, but Rosalind will not abandon the people. So Lee goes below deck and he starts messing with that electronic big pulse generator thing that they have below deck. Mm-hmm. Commander Adama says, listen, they fire on you on the Dreadus. We see Colonial One and the surrounding ships vanish after a few tense, tense moments. We learn that it was a kiloton nuke. The Cylons move off. They kind of fire and forget, and they poom, poom, and then they, they peel off, and they're like, peace, bitch. Yep. Um, and then Ty consoles Commander Adama on the shoulder grab, and we fade to black. Fade to black. Now, I got to say, first watch, I go, holy shit. They killed the main character's son and the new president just like that. What a ballsy move. That is crazy. And then on second watch, I realize how much I've just been infected by the Game of Thrones and Walking Deads of the world. 
That is definitely not what happened. And I realized, oh, the pulse generator. So I guess if we're going into predictions, because I have not watched the second part of this yet, I'm going to wait um, until we get to our next episode. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he creates the pulse that has the same EMP-like effects as the, the nuclear weapons. It sets off the incoming nuke sent by the Cylon. So it blows up. The Cylons see it blow up and go away. On their screen, all of the ships have been blacked out because of the EMP, and so that's why they saw. Mm. All the people are alive. They're still here. They're still here. They're still here. Well, oh. I guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out, won't we? We will. This is. It's not like this is some show from 15 years ago, Dean. We can't just be impatient. We gotta wait. <laughs> so that's BSG, the first part of the miniseries, episode one. Wow, done. Done. So, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Tell me, what do you think this episode was setting out to do, and do you think it accomplished it? Well, like we said, I think it's it's more than anything, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how much this show, plot-wise, this episode, is driven by the Cylon attack and the, the mystique and mystery of the Cylons, what they are, what they're after – that's what drives us forward. That's what you know puts our characters where they are by the end. But so much of the show is really just setting out, like we were saying, to paint a portrait of all these pictures, right. uh, of all these characters, to really give us fleshed out visions of them, to understand what all of them are not necessarily vying for, but are the places they're coming from. We kind of get a, a picture of every single character's point of origin, um, what they're fighting for. That's that's what this show sets out to do, and I think it definitely accomplishes it uh, in this episode. I, I, I have a very clear – again, I know I'm, I'm referencing Star Trek a lot, but uh, to go back to to that, basically there, were, there are characters on that show who are only there. You know, Data is you – know, grows over time on that show, but he's very much an android. He is, he is introduced as novelty of, look at this. Hey, it's not a person. It's an android person. And he, he's stronger than us and smarter than us. And we, you know, the interesting aspects of him are brought out of what can he do that we can't? You know, there, there's just, it's just the novelty side of him that is at first exploited to make him interesting. And then he slowly grows into it. Whereas all of our characters on Battlestar Galactica have very much been their their flaws are leading them. You know, we are led first by their flaws, what's wrong with them, why how are they striving to get past those things? We're seeing them very raw uh and then we're getting to our plot and then we're getting to our, you know, their we even before their aspects of personality are really shown, we're getting just pictures of where they're from. We're getting pictures of Adama being, you know, uh, a divorcee and and a person who's lost Children, you know, these aren't aspects of his personality. These are just things that inform it, and we're just getting pictures of these things laid out first. Uh, so that's, I think, the major thing this episode set out to do: give us very clear pictures of who the people are we are dealing with. Um, and I think it definitely accomplished that. Has me intrigued. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, it was one of those episodes of television. Like I said, watched the miniseries in totality when I first saw it. And uh, I thought to myself, I need to watch more of this as soon as possible. It's uh, it's everything I've wanted out of TV for a long time. Uh, grit was not around yet, you know. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't it wasn't as in vogue as it is now. 
and uh, it was it was great, especially in space, especially this like I said, military science fiction approach was so fun to watch for me. And uh, I love hearing your initial impressions of everything, uh, sort of living through it again through you. It's fascinating. I like, uh, I like having you know, this different dynamic because it adds to the conversation, and it's cool, man. I'm glad you're enjoying it. That was a lot of fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the next one. I'll tell you what. I'm going to close this episode And uh, I'm going to close it on a little bit of a game we're going to play. And this is something we're going to do every week. Perfect. Every week, I'm going to ask you a question about the upcoming episode. And without giving you any major spoilers, they're just going to be spoilery enough to intrigue you to want to know more. (laughs) Some days I might say, here are three lines that are spoken. Here, Here are three lines. Can you pick the one that actually was in the episode? Etc. And I'm going to think of these each week and we'll repeat a bunch of them, which is fine. So this week, I want to ask you for the next episode of Battlestar Galactica, the second part of the miniseries, I want you to tell me something. Are you ready? Ready. Do you got your big brain on? Ooh, I got it. Sweet. What will be used as a weapon in the next episode of Battlestar Galactica? Will it be a flashlight? Will it be a makeshift knife? Will it be a stolen firearm from a small arms locker? Ooh. (laughs) Good guy. A flashlight, a makeshift knife, or a stolen small arms firearm? A a, a stolen firearm from the small arms locker. Oh, shit. So A, flashlight. B, a makeshift knife. And see a firearm stolen from a small arms locker. Hmm. Well, for one, I definitely don't see any one-to-one fights happening between humans and Cylons yet. So this is definitely happening between people. Uh, definitely aboard Battlestar. Damn, that is tough. I'm going to say makeshift knife sounds a little too prisony. I'm not getting that vibe. Right, <laughs> I don't so- think, unless PR boy comes out with a, a <laughs> fucking hidden mm. knife. Cross that and, off. Don't let the president tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to go out on a limb and say a flashlight. I could see Starbuck whipping out a mag light and cracking somebody's skull. That, that right. makes sense. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and put it on that flashlight. Okay. So you're going to guess flashlight. Now. <laughs> God, that sounds so dumb to hear it from you. Yes, <laughs> I'm guessing flashlight. <laughs> now. You said Starbuck. Bonus question. Who will wield the weapon? Do I get options or I just got to pull? Well, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a character you don't know. Yes. So you've met the character already, oh, assuming that that is in fact the weapon. Yes. Damn. I'm, go- oh, you know, in my mind, it's Starbuck or Roslyn. Screw it. I'm going to say Starbuck. I'm going to go the safe route. That seems right. like the kind of person who would crack skulls with a flashlight. Bing, bang, boom. All right. All awesome. See you the next answer, week. <laughs> yes. The answer will be revealed next in next week's episode. Beautiful. Boom. I had a blast. I'm looking forward to, you know, we only got 73 to do, so this will take us about <laughs> a year and a half to finish, but hey, we'll whatever. be here a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad we've finally broken the seal on that. And, uh, I'm looking forward to rewatching this series immensely. So uh, I guess we will see you next week. Bye, guys.